And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Josh uh, Nitkin, who writes, Big fan of the show. Thank you so much, Josh. I was wondering if you caught the first three episodes of the new Amazon show, Invincible. I binged the three episodes today and loved it. I've not read the comic, though now I am very interested. With Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg being some of the producers, I'm not surprised how well this show is done. Considering how amazing The Boys is, what are your thoughts? Thanks, and bring on the most filthiest of filthies. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Josh. And yeah, listen, some of you may have heard me talk about this before. While I am a big fan of Marvel and DC uh, movies and stuff, I am really not a fan of Marvel or DC's animated stuff, Rob. I just, <laughs> I find most of the uh, an animated stuff to be total shite. Now, that said, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. You know, obviously, Mask of the Phantasm, uh, The Dark Knight Returns, uh, the, the Doctor Strange animated movie. There, there are a few exceptions. I also thought, thought Flashpoint was pretty good. But, 99% of it, I think, is all crap, so I'm not really big on that, which is one of the reasons I didn't think I was going to like Harley Quinn, <laughs> but I love Harley Quinn. And so Invincibles has been coming, and it's got a very interesting voice cast. I have also never read the comics. So I finally say, you know, okay, fine, I'll check it out. Rob, this show is great. Yep. This show is great. I am, and and it's... You know, it starts off and you're thinking, okay, you know, okay, yeah, teenager, discovery has powers, ooh, never seen that before, but it really evolves as the show goes on and you get a, a number of big WTF moments and the character work is so is so well done. It's obviously a lot of tropes we've seen before, but these tropes are being used in ways that are very unique. And I got to tell you, Rob, I found myself getting sucked into this show like I would be getting sucked into, uh, you know, an episode of Breaking Bad or an episode of Sons of Anarchy or something like that. Like, I just found the drama of it was really interesting. Uh, also, one of the most creative ways to have a threesome I've ever seen put to screen. But uh, but that will, will be talked about another time. I I This show's great. It's great. Now, it's I'm not going to say it's on the same level as The Boys or anything like that. I don't think it is. But as a guy who generally doesn't like, generally doesn't like the superhero animated stuff. I got to tell you, I was very impressed. The third episode ended and I was like, where is that next one? And when does the next one come? I cannot wait to watch it. Rob, you had a chance to watch the first three episodes of Invincible that have come out. What have you thought about it so far? Well, first, you know, I have read the comic. I've got absolute versions that they published. Those oversized version. I've always liked this comic. And I think first and foremost, it's a really great adaptation of the source material. It's really faithful to it. And, you know, um, Evan Goldberg and, and um, Seth Rogen are producers. And to me, it kind of they've they've made a, th a, a trilogy but with Preacher, The Boys and now Invincible of these very irreverent R-rated comics that don't pull any punches. And I I was I had really high hopes for this going in and they were met, maybe even exceeded. And I was first like you. I'm like, uh, animation, you know. Uh, but the voice casting is so good. And, I mean, the whole opening scene, you know, when you've got – it's like two guys talking about the guards at the White House. They spend this long time talking about – well, he's trying to – the one guy's trying to 
have a, a, a father-son vacation with his kid. I mean, they didn't have to spend so much time doing that, but the show is really all about character. Yeah. And I and while it has all the superhero action and R-rated, I mean, there's there's violence and sex, and I mean, it's great to watch. But they never forget that it's a show about characters first, mm. and I think they do a great job with that. And they really, even though, like you said. You pointed out the tropes are there, yeah. but they subvert them all. You know, it's the very familiar tropes that they do new things with, just like in the comic. And I, I think that they've done a tremendous job. And I really like the clean. It's simple, but it's a very clean and effective animation style. It's fun to watch. Yeah, they didn't break the bank on the animation style, but you're no. right. It works for the show and it yes. works very well. And I've been enjoying it. The question is for you guys. Have you guys had a chance to check out this show, Invincible? I, I got to admit, it is much better than I was anticipating it being. I'm having a really good time with it. What did you guys think? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Rajan, who writes... The Rock unveiled the release date of Black Adam to be July 29th, 2022. This movie sets up a, a clash, direct clash, with the fifth Indiana Jones and adds on to the list of blockbuster movies for next July. Minions 2, Black Panther 2, Fantastic Beast 3 being the others. What do you think of this movie? And do you think these movies will stick to their release dates, especially with Black Adam and Indiana Jones 5? Hashtag... Bring on the filthy. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And it is not an exaggeration to mention that we have been talking about Dwayne The Rock Johnson doing a Black Adam movie for five years. It's not an exaggeration to say that. We've been talking about it for five years since they announced it. Dwayne The Rock Johnson says, you know, there's going to be a new power hierarchy in the world of DC, says Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Five years. And then, you know, a lot of promises along the way. Okay, we're going to get started, you know, this year. No, 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 no. This year we're going to get started. We totally swearsies. Totally swearsies. Pinky promise and everything. We're going to be starting this year. And then the, uh, another year passed. No, now we're going to be starting. And then a pandemic hits. So like, like, but it looks like it's actually really happening. It's actually happening. This comes to us from the uh, folks over at uh, MovieWeb who write, it's official. Dwayne The Rock Johnson has taken over Times Square to reveal that the release date for Black Adam just ahead of the UCLA versus Alabama NCAA tournament. By the way, UCLA won that game in a thriller, thriller ending to that game. Anyway, uh, where were we? Oh, yes, NCAA tournament game on Sunday. Johnson appeared in a TV spot for Black Adam revealing that the movie will be released on July 29th, 2022. So we finally got a release date, and Rob, they're actually going to get in front of the cameras I believe uh, in the next couple of weeks, I believe they actually start rolling cameras in the next couple of weeks. So this thing is now actually happening. They're going to actually be shooting this thing. There are a bunch of question marks. Now, of course, Rob, we just talked the other day about the fact that Pierce Brosnan, the former James Bond, the former Remington Steele is going to play Dr. Fate. I'm very excited about that. But this whole idea about this big showdown confrontation between Indiana Jones 5 and Black Adam comes with a lot of asterisks. Asterisk number one, 
yeah, let's see if Black Adam actually goes into production because <laughs> we've heard this song and dance about five times already. It actually does look like it's going to happen. Can it then go through a nice, clean production schedule and actually get everything shot without, you know, COVID rearing its ugly head and delaying the more and all that kind of stuff? Things are looking good, but, you know, we're not out of the woods yet. By the way, Iconic Reaction sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Iconic. Um, so there is that. The other part of that equation, Rob, that is the even bigger question mark is I don't believe for a hot second that Indiana Jones 5 is coming in, in July 29th of 2022. They've been talking about this for I, I've almost as long as they maybe longer that they've been talking about Black Adam. And I understand they've got a director attached now, same guy who directed Logan and did such a great job with that. But I, I think that's a huge question mark as to whether or not that actually happens. So I only put it at a 15 to 20 percent chance that we'll get to July 29th, 2022. And both of those movies are opening and opening on the same day. But <laughs> I, I would say this, if they do, Rob, look like they're heading in that trajectory and that they are, at least for argument's sake, say they do. They're going to make their targets. One of them's got to move. One of them's got to move because they're just, while Indiana Jones is not a comic book movie, they appeal to a lot of the same demographics. And so I would just say one of them would probably have to budge. And I would say the movie that should move would probably be Indiana Jones. Except Disney doesn't like to move for other people. Although I think in this case, I think the right thing to do be moving Indiana Jones. Anyway, Rob, a lot here to cover. Uh, Dwayne Johnson says they got a release date. They're starting to shoot this thing. It's supposedly opening up against Indiana Jones 5. What are your thoughts on all of this? Well, like you said, I mean, can uh, can we believe in release dates anymore? I think I'm going to be gun shy about release dates for years to come, probably. But, I mean, we haven't even got out the movies that were supposed to come out a year ago. But I think... Look, assuming we still have COVID cases running rampant around the world, Brazil's a mess, um, Germany's going into you know more of lockdowns, even though uh, we'll see. But I, I think that they've been able to, with COVID protocols that have been put in place, they've been able to do a production. There's things in production. And I think that they, I think they, like you said, I don't know about Indiana Jones 5, but <laughs> I think Black Adam, I think they're going to do it this time. I think that I think it's going to happen. Um, after all, Black Adam is kind of a magical being, and it would be, it would be magic if this movie finally got made. I read something; it was originally announced in two thousand and three. Black 2003 Adam, three or four, yeah. That yeah, there was like a tweet, and somebody had put a picture of the very first time Dwayne Johnson was associated with a Black Adam movie was like in two thousand three or four. And I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> That's insane. And and uh, because he looks like the Black Adam in Kingdom Come. So I always thought that was a great idea. But I guess, you know, some dreams, John, they just endure. And I dream of one day next year seeing a real Black Adam movie. <laughs> well, keep hope alive. But, but let me ask you this. Let's say the improbable happens. Not impossible, but at this point, improbable. And let's say both Black Adam... Everything goes according to plan. They're mm. able to launch July 29th. Indiana Jones 5, miracles of miracles. They're actually able to get this thing going, and they they hit that release date. What do you think? How does that get resolved? Do you think they just both open on the same day if they're able to? Do you think one moves? How do you think they're going to deal with that? 
I mean, obviously, they'd be cannibalizing each other's audiences. I think it's really going to depend on where movie theaters are. Are they going to be at full capacity? Because if they're not by then, I don't think that the box office would be able to support two, two major contenders like that. I think one would have to move because otherwise, you know, that I mean, right now, look, the box office is on an uptick. We'll talk about that later. But the, the it, it really depends on if theaters are open at 100 percent capacity. Why not? But if they're not, I think one of the one of those movies is going to have to move. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this whole situation? I mean, they've got a release date for Black Adam now. They technically had release dates before, but it looks like it's actually happening this time. Will it hit that date? Will Indiana Jones 5? Will they go head-to-head? Will one of them move? How do you guys see this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Sean Connor Martin, who writes, Some fans of the Snyder Cut have recently started to review bomb Godzilla vs. Kong in order to show WB that they are upset with their current decision to move away from the Snyderverse going forward. While this has led other fans to make an effort to negate their reviews, it shows how childish some fans have become that they're willing to tank another movie to get their way. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, Sean. And yeah, listen, I have said for a long time, and I'm glad Rotten Tomatoes made a change in their audience reviews, although they got to figure out a way to do it for television stuff and streaming stuff because they just don't have a good way to do it. But for theatrical movies, eventually Rotten Tomatoes changed it to where you have to be able to verify that you actually saw the movie in order to submit a user rating. Because one of the reasons I've always said things like IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes, user ratings, Rob, are completely useless is because people can just go in there having never seen the movie and either review praise it. It's like, if the movie hasn't even come out, you haven't seen it. I don't care. I know it's a 10 out of 10 and 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Or review bomb it. You've never even seen this movie yet. Doesn't matter. It's got this guy and he sucks. Da, 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 one, 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 one. Or I, mean, I guess they don't allow you to do zeros. One. And that that's just why I've, t- I've said for years, completely ignore user ratings user ratings are useless because anybody can just go in and do that which is one of the reasons why i liked what rotten tomatoes did making it that you had to verify you saw the movie that being said um we have now seen a something that i'd like to say we're surprised to see but really we're not surprised um godzilla versus kong which is of course being released by warner brothers has seen a bunch of people jive, dive over to IMDb and flood it with one out of 10 ratings um, and letting people know why they're doing it because they leave the hashtag on it. Uh, restore the Snyder cut. And you get things like down here at the bottom, the, the username is I hate you Warner. They gave Godzilla versus Kong a one out of 10, which of course they haven't even seen the movie. Hashtag restore the Snyderverse if you want good reviews in your next movie, Warner. If you want good reviews in your next movie, Warner, you better do what we say. And of course, they got flooded with this stuff, which is very odd. It, it, here's the fun. Here's the thing, Rob. It's counterproductive. Like, do these morons understand that by acting like that, 
you're not making you think Warner Brothers is reading this stuff and going, wow, wow, maybe we should restore the Snyderverse. Do you think that's what they're doing? No, no. The only thing you're actually accomplishing is making Warner Brothers regret that they ever let you see the Snyder cut in the first place. You're just making them regret it. And you're making them go, we're never going to do that again. Because look what happens. It's like a guy comes along to you and says, hey, man, I, 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 can, you, can you lend me five bucks? Like a friend of yours maybe who's having a hard time, can you lend me five bucks so I can go you know, buy a McChicken sandwich at McDonald's? And you say, you know what? Sure. Yeah. Here, take five bucks. Oh, thanks. You gave me five bucks. And then they pull a gun on you and say, now give me your car. And, like, and that's, that's what's happening here. And there are some people that instead of just being grateful that they were able to see, you know, that Warner Brothers was never going to do, they let them see it. And now instead of saying, thank you, Warner Brothers, for putting up the extra money, even though they're taking a loss on it. Thank you, Warner Brothers, for putting up the money. Thank you for giving us this that we can watch it because we, you know, we really wanted to see it. Thank you for that. Instead of doing that, now, now this is this is not terrorism is a very different thing. This is not terrorism, but they are adopting a terrorist mentality. Let's try to damage you until you do what we want you to do. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Rob, you also you, you often use the phrase, just take the win, man. Say right. thank you. And, and, and show other studios that, hey, we can be grateful and thank you for this. And this is awesome. And make it a big positive thing. Instead, they're taking it and making it a huge toxic mess mess of a, of a situation where now Warner Brothers is like, we'll probably never do that again. And other studios are looking at this and saying, that's how you react. But Rob, there is good news to this. There is good news to this. And actually, I think it's great news. Because every single fandom, this isn't this isn't just a DC fandom thing. Marvel fandom has its toxic underbelly. Star Wars fandom has its toxic underbelly. Uh, Harry Potter fandom has it. They, every single fandom does. Sports fandom has its toxic. They all do. Everybody does. There's, there's nothing unique about this. But what doesn't often happen and should happen more often than not is when a fandom will police its own. When a fandom polices its own, and here's where the good news comes from. The good news is a whole bunch of people who are really big supporters of the Restore the Snyderverse movement and all that kind of stuff, they saw what was going on with these idiots review bombing something else, and a bunch of people in the Restore the Snyder Cut version, they said, no, 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 and they started positive review bombing Godzilla versus Kong and putting in 10 out of 10s and strictly saying like they put in the hashtag restore the Snyderverse. Hey, listen, we're just happy, blah, blah. Thank you, Warner Brothers. And, you know, don't pay any attention to the minority of people in the restore the Snyderverse thing who are doing stuff like this. They don't represent us. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but it was really good to see that when the toxic underbelly of any particular fandom, in this case, the Snyder part, it's good to see the positive side of that fandom, the majority, step up and say, no, 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 no. They don't represent us. Please understand that the actions of these morons do not represent the majority of us. Now, nobody should be putting in fake reviews for any movie, positive or negative, but I, I applaud 
all those people who were like, no, 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 no. This is not how we act. And they try to counter it. And they've countered it very well because I think right now Godzilla versus Kong, the average rating on IMDb, which shouldn't be paid attention to anyway, is sitting at somewhere around 7.9 or something like that. So I say bravo to the majority of the fans in that camp who decided to say, uh-uh, that doesn't represent us or how we think or how we act, and we're going to do something about it. Bravo to them. Anyway, Rob, you saw this whole situation. What do you think about it? Well, the thing that I think bummed me out the most, and it's what we talked about before we went on the show, is that you know when when we had a whole fan movement restore the Snyder Cut, in a way, that was really about restoring a, a vision that the studio commissioned, that a filmmaker was 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 making, and all of that got corrupted and destroyed. But ultimately, in there, it was that Zack Snyder's vision that was being celebrated and and hopefully demanded to be released. Well, Zack Snyder has a movie coming out in May, in uh, on Netflix, Army of the Dead. He's got a prequel series being made and an animated series. And what's disconcerting is to see fans not supporting the very filmmaker they've been supporting for the last four years with his new endeavor, that they would rather go and destroy a movie that's completely unrelated. All, what about Adam Wingard? You know, he's a filmmaker that had an opportunity to make a big budget movie like King of Godzilla versus Kong, who had nothing to do with the Snyder Cut. And this is a big deal for him. You know, as a creator and it's advancing his career and reviews matter and getting people to go see it. So instead, and, and what about supporting Zack Snyder's new work over at Netflix? I mean, you've got filmmakers that need the same kind of support. Zack Snyder needs your continued support for his new endeavors. Uh, on a, a filmmaker like Adam Wingard, who's been working away in lower budget fare for years and now has an opportunity to make a big budget studio blockbuster. Let's support him. You know, and and yet these these people that were doing these review bombs are doing neither supporting Zack Snyder or uh, Adam Wingard's work on on Godzilla versus Kong because basically they're being selfish. It's all by when you go and review bomb a thing, it's not even about a filmmaker or a movie. It's about you. You're making a statement about yourself. You're making it's very very selfish, and and I I find it to be incredibly counterproductive on every level and it's certainly not what you should be doing i understand the intentions are good but the road to hell john is paved with the people that were review bombing godzilla versus kong all right question is guys what did you think about this and does it in any way what are your thoughts overall about user reviews on things that can't be moderated or verified on things like indb or whatever what are your thoughts on this what do you think about the situation as a whole jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number four and our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by sam sprill and sam sprill writes hey john and rob with godzilla versus kong on the horizon in the u.s the movie rolled out internationally with $122 million, making it the highest opening during the pandemic era. Could this be the first sign of box office resurgent, resurgence? What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And of course, Godzilla vs. Kong is opening this week here in North America, where I live. And by the way, I've already got my tickets, Rob, 3 p.m., 3 p.m. on Wednesday, I'm going me into, I'm dragging my ass into an IMAX screen to go watch this baby. Anyway, 
Uh, looking forward to that great deal. It has opened in other countries around the world, and it has done exceedingly well, especially considering the era we are in right now. This comes to us from the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter who write, Godzilla vs. Kong opened to a pandemic-best $121.8 million at the foreign box office, giving Hollywood hope that tentpoles can make a comeback as theaters reopen. Christopher Nolan's Tenet previously had the biggest offshore. Listen to this. The previous record in this era was $53 million. It more than doubled it. Got within uh, got within eyesight of maybe close to tripling it. Anyway, Legendary and Warner Brothers Monster Mashup enjoyed an especially loud roar in China where it launched to a huge $70.3 million. Legendary has sole distribution and marketing duties in the Middle Kingdom while Warner's is handling the marketing and distribution everywhere else. Rob, it has been a while since we have been able to look at a box office number. <laughs> and go and do anything other than oh my god things are bad it's it's been a long time this i saw this number now i expected to see climbing numbers i expected to see you know improved numbers with a godzilla versus kong i was not ready to see 122 million just in overseas markets uh, alone I was expecting something significant. I thought it could beat the tenant number because things are a little bit better right now of 53 million. But I was thinking 65 million, 70 million, maybe. This is, again, if this was 2019, 122 million, not a great number for overseas opening. Obviously not a great number. For today, it's amazing. And it is, I believe, a small step showing that, guess what? People are wanting to go back to the movies. Now, we're not all the way there yet. Godzilla vs. Kong is not going to make $600 million. Uh, and that's That would be ridiculous to think that of anything right now. But the level of success it's having, I, I think it has adjusted our expectations about what it might be able to do in North America. And it's a tremendous sign. And, you know, Rob, I can just speak from my own experience you know, when I was originally looking for places to buy tickets for Godzilla versus Kong, they were sold out everywhere. Everything was sold out. Now, granted, yep. we live in the Los Angeles area, which is, you know, movie going is a much bigger part of the culture here than a lot of other places. But still, like everything where they were showing movies, Godzilla versus Kong was sold out. So I was lucky to get the tickets that I did. Anyway, Rob, you see these numbers. A couple things. Do you think these are numbers that the folks at Warner Brothers should be excited about? And what, if anything, do, does, do you think this tells us about what we may be able to expect when Mortal Kombat comes out, when a couple of these other ones start rolling out? How does this adjust your view of the whole paradigm right now? What do you think? Well, as the Beatles once sang, it's getting better all the time. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny that, that we're now in a position where we're just clamoring to get back to where we were normally before the pandemic. But I, I think, look, this is a, a, a signpost that is pointing to the fact that people want to go back to the movies, that hopefully, you know, as we emerge, as people are vaccinated, we emerge out of this, that movie theaters are not going to die, that people still crave that collective experience, seeing films in big auditoriums and 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 and, and voting with their entertainment dollar. I, I, I think it can only be considered a good thing. And, you know, for this particular movie. It's funny that Tenant, well, Tenant's going to lead the way back to movie theaters. You know what? No. 
this big, dumb, fun, awesome movie, uh, which I would assume it's awesome. I think it's going to be awesome. I, you know what? Even if it's not, for me, it'll be awesome. The fact that it's this movie that is bringing fun back to the movie theaters. Like you said, you've been the way you've been waxing rhapsodic about this, it's about – it's two – Two giant, giant titans. It's like an MMA fight writ large on the big screen. What's not to love? And I think it's only, uh, it, it's only, it's a signpost of, of of what's to come. And I think it's bring on Fast and Furious, man. Come on. Well, yeah. And on top of that, like I'm hoping, hoping, like look, I mentioned that I went to go to the movies this Thursday to go see Nobody. Not a look. I think a lot of people even forgot it was coming out in theaters. But the limited capacity, because you know they they minimal uh, they reduce capacity to theaters, but they sold out the theater I was in for nobody, and I'm hoping and you know everybody seemed to have a really good time, which increases the odds that they're probably going to want to come back to the movies. I'm hoping Godzilla versus Kong can have a really good, you know, impact so that when Mortal Kombat comes out, it's I hope there's a snowball effect. And again, it, none of this would be worth talking about if I went to the movies and I didn't feel like the theater I was at which was an AMC theater, wasn't taking their safety protocols seriously. <clears throat> was they? But they were. I, I mean, they were. I was impressed from the moment I walked in the door to the moment that we left about the safety protocols they had. I felt very good about being there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm hoping that this can snowball. And I just, I am so excited to see this on the big screen. I am so excited to see Mortal Kombat on the big screen, uh, especially after watching Nobody. It, it, just, it just heightens that a lot. So... It's looking good. The question is for you guys. Actually, you know what, Rob? If, let me let me throw this out to you. Now, obviously, if this was 2019, we would be looking for an opening weekend of, I, I mean, I don't know, uh, maybe an opening weekend of $90 million, $110 million, maybe for something like that. What was, let me look this up. What was Godzilla King of the Monsters opening weekend? Let me see. Hold on a second. Uh, Godzilla... Uh, King of the Monsters uh, boxed off. Let me just see if I can find this quick because I, I am curious about this. Okay, so Godzilla King of the Monsters. It opened up on, if I can get this damn thing to open, which it's not opening for me. Give me a second here. Okay, so Godzilla King of the Monsters. It opened up on May 31st. And I cannot... Where the hell did they move their opening weekend? There we go. Okay, so it opened to $47 million. Godzilla versus Kong, maybe you're looking at 90 because of the the height and the, the thing of this. What do you think, after seeing what it's done overseas, understanding that there are still a lot of people hesitant to go back to theaters, understanding that the theaters that reduce capacity, what do you think is a realistic, uh, what would be a good number for Godzilla versus Kong under the current circumstances to open with in North America this week? Well, I'm, I'm also looking right now at the Kong Kong Skull Island opening, and its domestic opening here was sixty one million twenty five thousand four hundred and seventy two dollars. Right. So I would say somewhere between forty to fifty million if they could do that. Because remember, these are at full capacity. So if they could do a forty to fifty million opening weekend, that would I think be huge. I mean, these movies uh, that are would not be huge. They're not opening to, they're not opening to Avengers Endgame numbers, no, and even no. this, you know, if you look, the worldwide gross of Kong Skull Island was uh, half a billion. It was five hundred and sixty-six million, so half a billion dollars and change. Um, 
it, it, these films are not they they traditionally are not doing because people have to remember we're so used to hearing well three billion dollars for Endgame you know these Marvel movies and Joker are a billion dollars well most movies don't get to that yeah so and and they don't cost as much either so you have to look at at the expectations of what these movies are and I don't know what Gareth um, Gareth Edwards Godzilla opened with. But um, it was 40, 40 something million. That we oh, it was 40 something. Yeah. You didn't look at the uh, King of the Monsters. So yeah, you, have to manage, you have to manage expectations. And I think that like 40 million for a new movie, not during the pandemic. I mean, that's OK, you know, I guess. But uh, we would expect more. I mean, I would expect these. I would expect Kong Godzilla versus Kong should be the biggest of the MonsterVerse movies, of the four MonsterVerse films, because it's got an irresistible premise. And what they've shown us, who doesn't want to see that? If you're a movie fan or a kaiju fan, I mean, I don't know if my mom would roll out to see Godzilla versus Kong, but I think we, you know, as grown man-children, it, it's like, bring it on, man. So I think, um, who doesn't want to see this? People are talking about it. It's, it's a crossover zeitgeist moment. Everyone's like, look at the hashtags, Team Godzilla, Team Kong. People are having fun with this. So I think this is like the perfect movie to get people out of the house. So I'm expecting, hey, if it did 40 to $50 million, that would be huge. Huge. So just, just, for, just for reference and context, so uh, Christopher Nolan's Tenet opened overseas with $53 million. Godzilla versus Kong opened overseas with 122. Christopher Nolan's Tenet opened domestic box office of an opening weekend at $20 million, which considering at when in the pandemic that happened, wasn't bad. So I, you know what? I, you might be right, Rob. I, I, when you first said 40 million, I thought that might be overly optimistic because that would roughly put this into context. Think about this guys. If Godzilla versus Kong can open at $40 million, which may still be, unrealistic maybe but if it did yeah it would be opening to roughly the same numbers as godzilla as godzilla king of the monsters did yep without limited capacity without a pandemic i mean that would be crazy big so rob I, at first when you said 40 million i thought it's completely unrealistic but if if christopher nolan's tenant can make 20 maybe it can make that question is for you guys what do you think would be a great opening weekend number. All things considered, we're still in in the pandemic. We have limited capacity in theaters. What do you think would be a great number for? What do you think it's going to come in at? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into one more final main topic. We'll call it main topic number five, although we don't have an email for this because technically this kind of was and off the top, but we decided to hold it off till last year. And that is this. Rob, we've known for a while that a long time, longer than we care to think about, but we've known that an Obi-Wan series is coming. It was already supposed to be done shooting by now, but they decided to go back, revamp a bunch of things, and come back out with it. Well, it is now. It's officially starting to shoot in the next couple of days. Disney put out a uh, press release the other day talking about what is going on with the obi-wan series not only is it about to go into production rob they announced the full cast and it's impressive it is a good good cast let's take a look at this cast right now shall we we've got enough obviously we knew about ewan mcgregor and hayden christensen a lot of people very excited that hayden christensen is coming back 
We got Moses Ingram, who, of course, people just got their first. I mean, she's been around for a little bit. She hasn't been a lot, but a lot of people got to watch her and appreciate her in uh, uh, the, the chess show um, with Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, what was the name of the chess oh, show? Oh, uh, Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. Of course, they saw her in Queen's Gambit. The big news, though, Rob. Joel Edgerton is returning. There was a lot of speculation. We talked about it on this show. Joel Edgerton is returning as Uncle Owen. I love Joel Edgerton. I think this guy is great. And also, of course, returning with him is, uh, I never, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, uh, Pisces. Pisces? Anyway, Bonnie Pisces, who played Aunt Beru, she is, of course, coming back as well. Another big, I didn't know about this one, Kamel Nagiani. This dude is blowing up. He's got Eternals coming. Now he's going to be an Obi-Wan. Love this dude. Of course, we talked a few weeks ago about Indira Varma, of course, from Game of Thrones. We already knew she was going to be in here. Hitman, Agent 47 himself, and actually a terrific actor, Rupert Fiend, is coming. He's going to be in this as well. And then straight out of Compton's O'Shea Jackson Jr. I'm excited about that. Of course, I think we're going to see him in Godzilla vs. Kong as well. Uh, Simone Kessel, I don't know much about her. Benny Safdie, dude, this guy is more of a director. He just directed with his brother Uncut Gems. Yep. He directed Good Time with Robert Pattinson. But he's going to be appearing in this thing as an actor. And oh, there is one more guy. Rob, there's one more guy. Sung Kang. Justice Dude. for Han in the Star Wars universe uh, is going to appear in this thing. Uh, just to, to read off a little bit here from, from Variety, the Obi-Wan series at Disney Plus is preparing to begin production with the series, also adding several new cast members, and then they go on through class. They also confirmed, Rob, that this series will take place. We heard rumors about this. It is now official. The series takes place 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. So 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, that is the official time frame for the Obi-Wan series. Uh, Rob, you've heard about this. You see this cast lineup. It is a solid cast. What do you make of it and what excites you most, even though I already know the answer to that? Well, I mean, you know, the obvious, I love that Sun Kang is in this, but I, I think this cast, it, it again, like the Mandalorian it shows that the powers that be behind this show, I think, really know what Star Wars needs and um, what fans expect. And it just the the cast is so interesting and so eclectic and so good. Like the actors are good actors. I I, I just look at this and I'm thinking, this is going to be an A list show. And you got Deborah Chow directing, whose work we loved in The Mandalorian. I, I I just am excited about the level of quality that, um, you know, and they've been developing a, an Obi-Wan standalone project for years. So I would assume that the, the where this will live or die is in the writing. And I would just assume that this show is going to be first rate, A-list, straight up and down, awesome. And I am very excited about this show. Very excited. Yeah, of course, the director, we mentioned that they brought on board. Great. She did such great work with Mandalorian. This is a good, strong supporting cast surrounding, of course, uh, Ewan McGregor, who's going to lead this thing. Ewan McGregor, to me, is like, I think I feel like for a little while, people really did appreciate how good he was. And I think I feel like a lot of the general movie going audience has forgotten just how good of an actor Ewan McGregor is. I think he's going to be great at leading this thing. So, guys, the question is for you. 
What do you think about this news? We've got Obi-Wan is now finally about to go into production. They have finalized the cast. We know officially the time period, all that kind of stuff. How are you feeling about this? Are you excited or do you not really care about it? Whatever it is you feel about it, jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. By the way, guys, there is one piece of breaking news. There's a piece of breaking news here, Rob, that may not be tremendously exciting to a lot of people, but it is to me. We'll cover this more in depth tomorrow because this literally just came out in the last 15, 20 minutes. And that is this, Rob, my all-time favorite actor, my all-time favorite actor is going to be in Thor 4, Russell Crowe has joined Thor 4. He is, uh, which again is giving us a 310 to Yuma reunion with Russell yeah. Crowe and Christian Bale. By the way, tremendously underrated film. More people need to see 310 to Yuma. Now, we'll go into more details on this tomorrow, but this is what we're getting from, from Deadline right now. They're saying Russell Crowe has joined the cast of Marvel's Thor Love and Thunder, joining Chris Hemsworth, who is reprising his role as the God of Thunder, Natalie Portman, and Christian Bale, who will be playing the villain. The role is being kept under wraps, and the hope was to surprise fans with this fun cameo when the film was released. But following recent photos of Crowe hanging out with the cast all over Australia, Deadline has confirmed that he is in the movie. Insiders say Crowe is one of many surprises to come out of the film, with Matt Damon also confirmed to reprise his cameo from Thor Ragnarok. So, that leads me to believe that we're probably talking about a cameo we're probably talking about a cameo multiverse of madness rob he's playing jor-el he's playing jor-el that's it it's official mcu and the dcu are crossing over thor ends up on some random planet called krypton whatever what's left of it then he meets jor-el there we go it's no i i honestly don't know but he's probably it's the movie is well into production already so i cannot imagine this is a significant role Right, it is well into production, so I can't imagine it's big. But just seeing him pop up in a cameo, I think, is amazing. Again, he's not the greatest actor of all time. That's Daniel Day Lewis, but he is my favorite actor. Rob, I don't. You hear about this? What are your first thoughts? And and how big or small of a role do you think we're going to see out of him? Well, dude, I I I, I hope that um, he's Maximus. If there truly is a a multi, <laughs> I, I would like to see that somewhere in the afterlife, Maximus was able to be reunited with his wife and son and. And lived a life. You know, they once talked about making a gladiator sequel. Yes, they where the did. Gods, the gods of Olympus would grant Maximus life again, which I'm like, I'd be there for that. But I, look, like you, I love Russell Crowe. And, um, you know, the way he transforms physically for roles and uh, just to have him. He belongs in this universe. I mean, look, he was great as Jarrell in Man of Steel. He was so good. And um, he, I, I, he can do no wrong in my book. Bring him on. Um, I just hope he gets to kill a lot of people. Well, of course, uh, Russell Crowe's Jor-El was the very first hot toy I ever bought. Yeah. That was my first hot toy. Was, was and a, a good hot toy it is. It's a great hot toy. The face sculpt on that one is exceptional. So, again, I'm not sure, you know, if this is going to be a Matt Damon-style quick cameo. Maybe he's going to be part of the drama troupe. Maybe it is a more significant role, and they've just been really good at keeping it under wraps if he's been shooting for a number of weeks. I mean, of course, he is Australian, so it's no big deal that he's there. Anyway... Question for you guys is, and we, again, we will cover this more in depth tomorrow once we're able to get more information. This is just breaking now, but just out of curiosity, what do you guys think about this Russell Crowe popping up? And again, I'm just very excited for a 310 to Yuma reunion. 
I really want to see Christian Bale and Russell Crowe on screen together. I hope that happens. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Guys, what do you think about this? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With all of that down and out of the way, we're now going to move on and start taking your live comments and questions here on the show. Once again, how do you get a live comment or question on the show? It's really simple. Simply use the tip link that's down in the description of this video, or you could enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if we deem it appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And we, of course, thank you guys very, very much for that. Now, we had... Rob, we had a lot of live questions get sent in over Thursday and Friday. And then, of course, a lot of people sending questions over the weekend. So we are a little bit behind right now. Mm. So let's dive into it and start getting caught up just as quickly as we can, shall we? And we're going to get things started here with uh, Dad Jokes, who writes, John, Wonder Woman went toe-to-toe with Superman for a short moment. Yes, she did. But I think it's clear she is nowhere near his level. Uh, she seemed even with Steppenwolf in battle while Superman destroyed him in seconds with no effort. She is the second strongest, but a far second. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's I think that's an accurate uh, depiction of the situation to me about how they're portraying them in the DCEU. Like in the DCEU, they're clearly portraying that Superman is the top of the food chain. And then I, I always interpret it the way they played it out, both in the theatrical and in Snyder Cat, that Wonder Woman's probably that next in line. Although Wonder Woman and Aquaman both fared fairly well individually against Steppenwolf, I think Wonder Woman's probably that next up there. Rob, how do you see them in, uh, like portraying that in the uh, movie versions? Well, look, I mean, obviously I think Superman is the GOAT. And, and yes, Superman is, I think, far, far more powerful than either any other superhero and wonder woman, you know, she's an Amazonian and imbued with the power of the gods, but she's nowhere near Superman's level. All I right. Mean, I think it's clear. All right. Next up. Wakanda forever writes. Wow. John love the new co-host. I'm probably talking about Kimberly Kern. Uh, when, when she came on screen, you disappeared. LOL. Wakanda loves, loves Kimberly. I have HBO max and Godzilla versus Kong and mortal Kombat are both coming out on streaming for free. I feel silly, but I want to see them in theaters. Oh no, 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 no. If you're a real film fan, you want to see this on the big screen. I mean, it's not going to be possible for everybody, depending where you live and, and what's going on in your in your community and wherever it is you live. It may not be possible to do that, so you watch it any way you can. But there is no way in hell. I got offered a screener of uh, Godzilla versus Kong, and I had to straight up just tell them, not interested. Not interested. I'm seeing this thing in a theater. I'm seeing this thing proper. I'm seeing this thing on a screen where I get to see Godzilla like lording over the sides of everything and Kong swinging, lording over everything. It's like no effing way. I'm watching this on a TV screen. No effing way. Rob, I, I don't know if you were, you heard me talk about this, but I, I was very excited about seeing nobody. Universal offered me this chance to go to Universal's lot and watch nobody, but it was going to be outside in a drive-in format that they were going to show it and then they offered me it's like then then we'll video record you doing like one of the stunts in the movie with the actual stunt team from the movie and blah 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 and i said dude i am so honored that's great it sounds like a lot of fun but i ain't coming because i'm looking forward to this movie and i want the first time i see it not to be in an outdoor projected kind of questionable quality sort of thing i want to see this thing for the first time on a real movie screen and so i turned it down even though it sounded like a lot of fun and i'm glad i did because it was an excellent experience there ain't no way in hell 
since I'm capable and I'm going to be vaccinated too, that I am watching Mortal Kombat or Godzilla for the first time on some effing loser TV. I am seeing this thing <laughs> on the big screen as it's intended to be seen. And again, not everybody has that option. Not everybody has that option. That's cool. But for me, I do have the option and I am damn well doing it. I am damn well doing it, Rob. I'm so excited about this. All right, let, let's move on here. Uh, next up. Uh, Mr. Graham 91 writes, Hey, John and co. I always wonder why people and media advertise. See this movie in IMAX incredible in IMAX. Although isn't Dolby cinema better than IMAX. Maybe IMAX is slightly bigger ratio, uh, but that's it. Dolby sound is better and picture quality is better as well. Well, I think here's the thing, Mr. Graham and Rob, tell me what you think about this. I think sometimes IMAX is literally paying for that endorsement see it in IMAX. Like that's often they're, they're paying for that to, to be, to be played. But I think, you know, there are some movies like Godzilla versus Kong where you just want to see it on the biggest screen possible. You know, there are, yeah. there are movies that don't need to be in IMAX. There are movies that don't need the absolute biggest screen possible, but you're talking about like Mortal Kombat or Godzilla versus Kong or something like that. I, I think that's just kind of the de facto going to thing to say, see it in IMAX. Then now look, as far as which is better, that's up to individual preference. Rob, I know a lot of people, they prefer not the Limax, but the true IMAX experience is like their yes. favorite movie experience. For me personally, it is the AMC Dolby Cinema. That's my personal favorite, just image quality and sound and all that kind of stuff. But it's there's not one is clearly better than the other. It's they're two different experiences and it's up to individual taste. Rob, I think you're one of the guys that really does prefer like nothing's better to you than a really good pure IMAX experience. How would you address that? Yes, I mean, I that's true, but you know, not all movies are obviously in IMAX. And um uh, when we went and saw Joker at that AMC theater with the Dolby the Dolby theater, that was an amazing, it, it, it was amazing presentation. The picture, the sound, razor sharp quality, the sound's amazing. So it really, to me, it depends on the movie. So if the movie itself is going to give you like the way Christopher Nolan uh, shot some of the Dark Knight and then his later movies, he would add more and more IMAX scenes. I love the changing aspect ratio, watching that happen in the theater. And again, one of my greatest movie-going experiences ever was sitting in the Chinese theater, which is a converted regular theater that was converted to IMAX, but the picture and sound are great. When I saw Blade Runner 2049 on a Tuesday afternoon, I was like one of three or four people in, the th in this gigantic world-famous theater. It was so loud, and the projection was so great. It was like I was I had a two-and-a-half-hour orgasm watching that movie. The presentation was so incredible. I, I To this day... And I, it just it depends on the movie. The movie has yeah. to go with the right theater. I agree. Now, I see some people in the live chat asking what's the difference. Well, the, what what is exceptional about the Dolby Cinema experiences, particularly at AMC Prime, is that uh, they use what's called a dual laser projection system where they use two lasers to project it. And I remember the first time they showed this off at CinemaCon. It, it basically enhances, it's a sharper image, all that kind of stuff, but it gives a much richer um, dynamic range. And so I never, I'll never forget this, Rob. The first demonstration they did of it was there was this pitch black screen and then these words come out, yes, the projector is on. And everybody gasped because nobody, all these theater, theater in industry professionals had never seen blacks that dark on a screen. And so when the, they just thought it was still off. And then when the words came on, yes, the screen is on. We're like, wait, what? 
and then they like were playing it. It is insanely beautiful. But again, you're right, Rob. They each offer different sets of strengths, and it, it's a yeah. movie to movie thing. I am normally a Dolby Cinema guy, but for Godzilla versus Kong, I kind of want it on the biggest screen possible. So I'll, uh, that's why I'm sneaking into an IMAX. All right, uh, let's move on here. Buck, Bucky Rocks writes. Um, I have a different take on Snyder Cut power level. I knew immediately the Steppenwolf was either powered down from Whedon's version or both Aquaman and Wonder Woman were powered up. They were having a way more difficult time handling uh, Steppenwolf in every Whedon fight. I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, in, in both the theatrical version, Rob, uh, unless I'm not remembering it right, in both the theatrical version and in, in the Snyder Cut that ended up being out, there were those scenes of, you know, Wonder Woman doing her bracelet clash, boom, and sending yeah, Steppenwolf yeah. flying. The first time Aquaman encounters Steppenwolf in Atlantis, him giving Steppenwolf that shot, he, Steppenwolf goes flying across. How you go flying across in the water, I'm not sure, but whatever. He hits him flying across the water, Steppenwolf slamming into the thing. I thought they both acquitted themselves very well in both versions. Am I just not remembering that right? How do you remember that? No, I think I think you are remember remembering it right. I, I think you remember. By the way, to, to just to the Chinese theater is opening today. I didn't know that. There, it's opening today, and you know what they're showing in IMAX? Tenant. Ooh. I might have to go. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> uh, that it's would playing be at, tempting. It's playing at 4 p.m. and 8 p.m. today. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm like, uh, huh. Honestly, guys, if you're ever in L.A. and things are back to normal, if you have not visited the iconic Chinese theater, like it's been renovated, it's been updated a lot, but it is still majestic. It is absolutely majestic. And just knowing that you're in the theater, this is where Star Wars premiered in 1977. And you're in that same spot that they were at. It's there's there's a sense of history in there. If you get a chance, if you're ever in LA and you're visiting, make sure you you take a pit stop and go and see uh, something at the Chinese theater. All right, next up. The Wakandan Forever writes, movies in 20 minutes, uh, superheroes. Okay, John, you don't like Meteor Man. Black Panther coming for me is too obvious. Uh, Dread 2012, uh, so too early. Eh, not popular enough. Uh, Unbreakable 2020. Unbreakable wouldn't be a bad one to do as a movies in 20 minutes. It checks all the boxes. It's great. Not as many people have seen it over 20 years in the past. Unbreakable is not a bad recommendation. I'll have to put that one on the list. That's actually a good recommendation, Wakandan. Uh, Rick Hunter 100 writes, movie recommendations. Invasion, uh, a.k.a. Top of the Food Chain, a tongue-in-cheek spoof in the 1950s sci-fi from early 2000s. Uh, stars Campbell Scott and Tom Everett Scott. Good Canadian film. I saw... At the Seattle International Film Festival. I've been to the Seattle International Film Festival. DVD on Amazon for cheap. I will uh, tell you right now, I am not familiar with Invasion. Rob, are you familiar with this? I'm not at all. Is Invasion the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Nicole Kidman and Daniel Craig? No, like I said, it's, it's, uh, this is a tongue-in-cheek spoof, the 1950s sci-fi oh. from early... Yeah, not, I'm not familiar yeah, I with it. I don't know it. All right, but Rick Andrew, I'll, that's I'll, I'll keep it on my radar. All right, next up. We've got Luke1234 writes, uh, studio question. Your mic is the Rode Procaster. Yes, it is. Uh, and you've had it for some time. Have you noticed uh, a- any downsides to it? And would you buy it again? I ask because I'm contemplating between the Rode Pod mic, $100, Rode Procaster, $230, and the SM7B, $400. All right. So I do use the Rode Procaster mic. This is a mic 
I originally, the first time I bought these mics was when we built our studio for AMC. Um, these were the mics that I got and I have been in love with these microphones. I love these microphones. I have like four of them in my studio, even though at most I ever use is two, but for whatever reason, I have four of them. Um, they're fantastic, but here's the reality. If the pod mics had been out, if the road pod mics have been, had been out when I Re, when I moved solo and I was building my own home studio, I probably would have bought those. They sound great, Rob. Those those Rode Pod mics, they they're a little bit stumpier, but they sound wonderful. And for a hundred bucks, here's the thing: unless you are a full time pro, if you do your EQing right, you can EQ. I've seen many videos where people take a Pod mic and EQ it such a way where it's almost indistinguishable from the Shure SM7B. It's almost indistinguishable. A lot of people just buy the Shure SM7B because it's a status symbol. It's like, that's what Joe Rogan uses. That's what a lot of these big timers use, right? Honestly, 95% of your YouTube viewing audience uh, does not know the difference, would not be able to understand or, or discern a difference between a, a Rode Pod mic that's EQ'd properly and the Shure SM7B. Good audiophiles would be able to tell a little bit of a difference. But honestly, unless you have to have it and it's your full-time career and it's all that, and it's, I would honestly recommend the Rode Pod mic. It's a really good mic. And if I had, and don't get me wrong, I don't regret having these. There are no drawbacks to the Rode Procaster. These mics are fantastic. They're built like tanks, excellent audio quality. Uh, but if you're just looking to invest some money, get the Pod mic, man. It's, uh, it's, it's, re it's reviewed very, very well. You should check it out. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next up. Uh, where are we at? Uh, oh, by the way, uh, I should mention this. I haven't decided on a day yet, but next week I'm thinking maybe Tuesday evening. I get a lot of people do write into me and ask about YouTubing and podcasting, philosophical approaches, technical advice, technical know-how equipment, things like that. I believe next Tuesday in the evening, I'm going to do an open stream about YouTubing. So if you have questions about uh, practices or about equipment or about tech or about software or about whatever, I'm going to do a full uh, evening, like open discussion where you guys can send in any questions you want about, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I will address all those then. I'm sure that won't be of interest to many of you, but for those of you who are, we're going to do that. Uh, should be fun. Uh, so yes, come on down and uh, Tuesday, uh, we will cover that on Tuesday. Okay, uh, let's get back to the questions now. Uh, Brandon writes, uh, some hashtag restore the Snyderverse supporters have floated a theory that all the DC news in the last couple of days, Atana, Pierce, Brosnan, the Suicide Squad, etc., is trying to drown out the Snyder cut and their movement. Do you think that's true? I think you have to be a special kind of moron to think that. Uh, Timothy writes, I hope you read this when Aaron is there. No, Aaron's not here, unfortunately. I know she is a part of the new Will Smith movie because uh, Aaron was going to be on on Friday, but she she wasn't here Friday either because... I can't tell you why she wasn't here on Friday, but I hope I get to tell you soon. Anyway, <laughs> um, I hope you read this when Aaron is there. I know she's part of the new Will Smith movie uh, that also includes John Bernthal. Did she ever meet John? And if so, uh, what was he like? He seems like such a super nice guy and down to earth, at least in his interviews. I honestly don't know. Um, she never mentioned to me 
that she had met Bernthal. Uh, he does seem like a really cool guy. He seems like, like he always, he's always come across as that. And whenever I've seen interviews with him, he seems like a very down to earth grounded guy, but I will specifically ask her if she had any scenes with John Bernthal. I think almost all of her scenes were with Will Smith, but I will double check with her and see what she says about that. All right. The Marvel detective writes, Hey John, you mentioned before how much you liked the story of last of us two, uh, with there being consequences to one's actions. So I was wondering, do you think there will be similar consequences with Hawkeye in the MCU? Rob, that's that's not a bad question, because one of the things that I do love about The Last of Us 2 story, which I think is just the best narrative we've ever seen in a video game, I, I think it's really incredible, but is that there are consequences to things you do. You know, we always watch these video games where you're the hero and you're going around killing 500 guys, but you never think about, uh, yeah, that one guard, that one guy who was just driving the car for the bad guy, he, right. was, he had a family, he had a brother, and he had a son. And he had a wife and he had parents that loved him and he had a whole life. And there's a family now around that one guy who see you, the hero, as the most evil, vile person in the world who took their loved one away from them. And there are going to be repercussions to that. And I love how, you know, Last of Us 2 did that. They said, okay, yeah, we saw Last of Us and we saw Joel and Ellie running around and killing all these guys. What happens when the family of those people put their targets on you you're the villain and yep i love that it and you're right hawkeye when we meet hawkeye again in um in endgame he's going around the world killing a lot of people and it's not just the 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 crime lords it's all the people who are around him and with them so i i don't know maybe there will be but rob it seems like we have had a lot of that in in comic book movies like even if you go back to tim burton's batman right Joker was a repercussion of Batman's actions in that movie. There's been other examples of that. Do you think that's the direction they could go with this Hawkeye show? I think they could. I think they might touch upon that. I I think it's certainly a valid direction. By the way, speaking of speaking of video games during this show, guess what was delivered to my house? I, I do not know. A PlayStation 5. Oh, you I've been trying to get one for a while. Oh, I'm a little okay. I'm pretty envious. I've been trying to get my hands on one. I just have not been able to get one. Thanks to a viewer, I, I won't use their name, but but somebody who watches my uh, channel uh, and this channel was able to facilitate that and uh, got me one. That's awesome, man. I'm very jealous. I am very jealous. All right, uh, let's move on here. Sempigar, is it Sempigar writes? Yes. Sempigar writes, I still find myself re-watching the trailers for Mortal Kombat and the Batman. I love those trailers and really enjoy the music. Having that edit of Something in the Way by Nirvana uh, was awesome and fits so well. Can't wait to see these movies. Yeah, listen, the, the trailers for the Batman, especially when you consider it was a first trailer, was great. Just gave us a tease, gave us a little taste for a movie that was still very far off. But it was a lot of fun. The Mortal Kombat trailer is fantastic. The Godzilla versus Kong trailer is the best trailer I've seen since the Logan trailer. Uh, they've really been cranking it up lately with the quality of the trailers. They really have. All right. Thanks, Pygar. He also writes, one of my favorite cartoons ever is Regular Show. It's so funny and nostalgic. A raccoon named Rigby and a blue jay named Mordecai. Also features Mark Hamill as Skips, Carl Weathers as the god of basketball, uh, Linda Car- Cardinelli, Hawkeye's wife as CJ. I know Ray has watched that show. I never have. My brother-in-law, Ray, I know he's, he's even got a bunch of uh, uh, collectible stuff 
for regular show. I have never watched it myself. I don't know, Rob, have you ever watched that? Never have. Yeah, neither have I, so I can't that. speak to it. But I know, my again, my brother-in-law, Ray, who's probably watching right now, uh, he really does enjoy the one. He's talked about it before. All right, next up, uh, we've got Bojax who writes, Hey, John, uh, one of two. I'm really going to miss Superman and Lois while it's on hiatus. I didn't even know it was on hiatus till the other day. Um, episode five might be my favorite so far. I love seeing Clark so giddy over the festival and chocolate bacon. I also enjoyed seeing young Clark with Martha. There are two scenes... That stood out for me. Number one, Lois saying how the festival taught Clark about giving and helping people in need. And number two was the Martha Park bench, instant tear. Anyway, this is the first Superman thing where I've been more excited to see Clark than Superman. Yeah, that you know what, Rob? That's a good way to put it. I am as equally into seeing Clark in this show as I am seeing Superman. Yeah. And I and I got to admit even my all-time favorite who I got him standing right here uh Henry Cavill as Superman. I am into seeing him as Superman. This yeah, I think it's a good way to put it. I actually look forward just as much to seeing Tyler Holkin, however you pronounce his name, uh as Clark Kent and you're right it does that. Is that the uh, the feeling you and have you caught up are you up on all five episodes in this? I've watched 4 of the episodes. Okay, so you I've, haven't seen episode 5 I, yet. I'm really enjoying it. I mean, I think the idea of, of Superman with sons and family matters is interesting. And I know some people want to see like more, more, I don't know, action or, but I, I, I like the show dude far more than I thought I was going to. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, me too. All right. Next up, we got Paul Mamer who, Oh, one of 10. Okay. Buckle up guys. Here we go. Uh, Hey John, love the show. Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, started listening about a month ago and I'm hooked. Well, it's good to have you here, man. Feels like I've found my tribe. I appreciate how thoughtful, respectful, reserved for the most part. Yeah, sometimes I'm not so reserved and positive. You always are. I used to run a theater uh, north of Saskatoon. Oh, I used to live in Saskatoon um, and I worked at a blockbuster there. I love the movies in the industry. I'm a big fan of DC. I did watch WandaVision and I liked it, but I mainly watched it to keep up with the John Campion show as it dominated the discussion. Here's my thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, Justice League, people commenting in abbreviations and code, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, people commenting in regular sentences. Soups doesn't always wear the black suit because it wasn't needed. He's been indestructible until he died. It would be like cops wearing riot gear all day long. I disagree with that because it's the same costume. Cops wearing riot gear, there's there's a big drawback to wearing riot gear. The black costume, there's no drawback to wearing that. So anyway, that's my thought on that. Uh, force equals max X. Flash had to be careful, mistaken for creepy. With everything he touches, we don't need a two-minute slow-mo for every person he saves. But for the first time he meets Iris, sure, Justice League was supposed to intro a solo Flash movie, which is which was, I think, a mistake. You don't use a movie to intro another movie. That whole meeting Iris thing should have been a scene saved for a different movie. That didn't in a in a movie that was four hours long, that was a scene that just didn't need to be there. That was a scene that was would have been better suited for the Flash movie. How about you have the Flash and Iris meet? In the Flash movie. I know, that was just me. Uh, five of ten. Uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League would have bombed at the theater. I completely agree. The theater owners would have to either start the first show at 3 p.m. in order to have a second show at 8 p.m. and close at 1 a.m. or forego a second show altogether and miss out on concessions. Impossible. Completely agree with that, Paul. Um, I agree. There's zero chance of continuing Zack Snyder's Justice League. I don't think there's 0% chance of continuing. Again, I, look, I say it a lot, but we are in a world where... Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. So I, while I believe it is improbable, 
I don't think you can say it's zero. I, I, I just don't think you can say it's zero in the world we live in today. Anyway, uh, I disagree with your sentiment that Warner Brothers is having more success without Zack. Uh, every opening weekend for a DCU movie has been smaller than the last since Batman versus Superman. Uh, Rotten Tomato scores don't equal box office receipts there. Well, okay, but here's the problem, Paul. Which Zack Snyder movie made? I can't remember, Rob. Which Zack Snyder movie made a billion dollars? Oh, wait, let me think. Um, none. None. Oh, that's right. None. But they've had two post Zack Snyder that made a million dollars. Which Zack Snyder film won Academy Award? Oh, none, John. I'm, I'm fairly sure. Maybe there was a technical award on one of them, whatever. But, you know, Joker is winning, uh, you know, these awards. The Wonder Woman, you know, was a smash success with the critics and everything. They've had box office success. And again, none, none of this is, is reflects negatively in Zack Snyder. It's just that to say that they have not seen better results post Zack Snyder is factually incorrect. Not everything has done super well. Like Shazam was awesome, but it's not like Shazam blew up the box office or anything like that. It didn't. But uh, and, and Birds of Prey, I didn't, I didn't like that movie. It's like only like it was the first DCU movie I didn't even like was Birds of Prey. But I mean, to say that they haven't had bigger successes, like including Academy Awards, billion dollar films, huge critical receptions, they've definitely had enjoyed more success uh, post that, but that's not a negative reflection on Zack Snyder at all, though. Uh, Superman commits acts of interspecies erotica. <laughs> well, well, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a little bit of interspecies erotica. Uh, Lois bangs an undead. Aquaman communicates with his food. Uh, Cyborg can see every nude selfie on the Earth. Well, yes, but they don't show him looking at every nude selfie. He just has the ability to do it. He just doesn't do it. Wonder Woman bags a dude under wish hypnosis. Uh, Flash touches a girl's cheek. Creep. Come on, John. Well, I, I think you comparing those situations. If we saw Cyborg actually going through everybody's nude selfies, yes, that would be creepy. But he didn't do that, did he? And I'm not going to get into all the other scenarios because we've already we've already addressed all those other ones. Uh, Paul Mamer uh, continues to write. Somebody mentioned winning the lottery and giving Warner Brothers four hundred million dollars for Justice League two and three. You stated that no way would that work. No, 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 no. no I okay. Listen, this is what drives me crazy, Rob. This is what drives me crazy. I now I get it. We live in a Twitter generation where everybody can't think any longer than 140 characters. I, I, I get that. But I was very careful in how I explained that situation. And I did not say that there was no way that could ever work. No, I said it's improbable. I said because of this, 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 and this. But it is not impossible. They could look at it this, but, right? It just reminds me of like, again, the, the, the like the Joss Whedon with... Um, uh, with the the uh, with the Justice League thing, it's like I I was very careful. And people wonder why I sometimes re will repeat myself, why I will go on describing something because this always happens. Like it, this is just like the Joss Whedon thing. I go on to express that. Listen, you take almost any other director, and you put them in a situation where you say, take this four hour movie, cut it in half, do this. No, none of this. You get none of this and you get no extra time. We're keeping the same release date. Go. I said, under those circumstances, most directors never would have been able to deliver that movie. So Joss Whedon saved Justice League because it just never would have. Most directors never would have got that movie across the finish line. But what happens? And then some morons just hear, 
Josh Whedon saved, like, as if I was saying that Josh Whedon saved it from Zack Snyder. And that's not what I said. I said I was very, very clear. I was very clear. So, again, this is just frustrating to me. When I go, I put in the effort to make something very clear about what I'm saying, and then it gets reduced to, you stated that there was no way that could work. I, I didn't say there was no way it could work. But anyway. Uh, but what if that occurred in 2033 when Superman and Batman's copyrights run out? Uh, first of all, DC will never let they're going to pull the same thing uh, Disney does with their characters. They will never run out those copyrights. They will never let those copyrights run out. They will they will lobby Congress. Disney has done it for generations. Uh, they will do it. There is no way they will ever let those copyrights run out. Uh, I want theaters to thrive. I was upset at the HBO Max theater rollout uh, with streaming services and a shortened theatrical window. I am worried. Maybe after vaccines, people will go back to theaters and will have a nice uh, half-year bump, but long-term, I'm not sure. Do you have any insider knowledge of how theater chain subscription services were doing business-wise? Did AMC A-List make money, or does it run at an initial loss to gain subscribers? Thank you for your filthy thoughts. Well, that's a really interesting topic, Paul. Because this is this was one of the things that, Rob, you and I have talked about this, that when the pandemic hit, it could not have hit at a worse time, particularly for AMC theaters. Because the pandemic hit when AMC theaters had just hit the end of their massive expenditures. They acquired a bunch more movie theaters. They spent billions in upgrading their movie theaters, putting in the leather reclining seats, better screens, better projectors, all that kind of stuff. And they had done basically a two-year rollout that they spent billions on for AMC A-List. And they had just started, AMC A-List had well ahead of schedule, had started actually turning a profit. AMC A-List, their subscription service, was now actually making them money. And as all of that was happening at the right point at the perfect storm all the expenditures the theaters the new seating the amc a-list expenditures and just as amc a-list was starting to make money the pandemic hit and amc was set standing there with their dick in their hands as they were like we, we we're we're five billion in debt we we just spent all this money thinking we we're about to make a lot of money and now we are royally effed. And it was horrible. But yes, AMC A-List did start to turn a profit for them. It was a very, it was probably one of the most successful programs they ever did, Paul. And it was really starting to work. And Rob, you and I have talked about how it's not just AMC, like the entire movie theater industry is in the midst of going through its most significant metamorphosis in the history of the movie theater industry, transitioning from a single-use pay service buy a ticket, see a movie to a monthly subscription model service. Mm -hmm. And it was showing it. Do you think that as the pandemic starts to clear up, can that get back on track? Do you think, or is that now a lost cause? No, I look, I, 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 I'm glad to see people returning back to the movie theaters. And I think, uh, I think the, the subscription model or the membership model, the past model, I think it's going to come back because it was working, John. And it was the kind of thing where, you know, if you're a, 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 a movie goer that goes to the movies three or four times a month, it made sense. And I think once movies are coming back into theaters and we have three or four movies we want to go see every month, it's a great thing to have, especially if you live close to a movie theater. And so I think, again, 
we will come out of this. And uh, I, at first, I got to say, I didn't used to be, I wasn't optimistic necessarily that this would happen, but I've, I, I, I'm more optimistic now. I think we might come back to, to pre-COVID conditions, which means that pass, the AMCA list will be back where it used to be, which is great. And of course, we've got the other theaters. Regal has their Unlimited. Cinemark has their program. Alamo Drafthouse, which is going to try to find a way to get out of bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, they introduced their own subscription service as well. And I think it could be a very, very major thing for, for that, Paul. And I think, I think, Paul, you raise a really great topic because I think the whole move, if the theaters survive the pandemic and all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's an exaggeration, Rob, to say it's it'll be because they had already begun that shift over to that monthly subscription model. Yes. And so, I, Paul, I think you're bang on the money about that, and I think that's an even more relevant thing than you might think. So, well said, sir. Well said. Thanks for writing that in, man. I appreciate it. All right, next up, Greg Scott Bailey writes, uh, one of two. I skipped ahead to Avengers Endgame. I've been doing the MCU rewatch. Uh, got to the portal scenes, and it still pumps me up, despite a sample. I really wish they did something like having everyone walk through um, uh, not coordinated and looking around. Then have Doctor Strange do a vocal enhancement spell where Steve's voice is projected across the field. Avengers, assemble! Then everybody forms up and then Mjolnir flies into Cap's hand. But alas, LOL. You know, Rob, we, I, I make fun of a lot. That one scene in Avengers, I do make fun a lot of the fact that there's this huge open battlefield and Captain America, now that he's got, he was getting ready to fight Thanos and his entire army by himself, which is like one of the most iconic images I've ever seen. But then everybody comes to the portals and he's Avengers. And then of course, Asapa. like really, really whisper quiet, right? But this is the one, and we've talked about this before, Rob, the thing that never fails to make me laugh whenever I watch Avengers Endgame and we get to that last scene from how ridiculous it is, is, okay, Ant-Man and Wasp have been, or sorry, a Wasp has been snapped out of existence, right? She'd been out of existence. Everybody's, but half of them had been out of existence. They just all now show up. And somehow, all of them have magical earpiece communication devices. There's this one shot where, like, I, I think it was... Um, it was Cap get, who gets presses his ear. Does anybody have eyes on? I can't remember who it was they were looking for. Peter Parker or something. Does anybody have eyes on oh, the van or something? Does anybody have eyes in the van? And immediately Wasp is, we're on it, Cap. She hits her earpiece. I'm like, when the fuck did she get a walkie-talkie? She's been out of existence for five years. Like, did Doctor Strange, before he opened the portals, go walking around? Did him and, and Wong walk around the big basket? Hand, Here's your earpieces, everybody. Get them secured or we won't be able to talk to each other. I just I just laugh every time I see that. Rob, let me ask you. I know you love Endgame. But I, mean, I love Endgame. If there's any part of that that makes you go, oh, my gosh, that that's a little silly as a part of that whole Endgame sequence. What, what one stands out to you? Well, I mean, look, I, as far as the if you're in costume, if you're in your 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 costume as a hero, I would assume that it's standard issue to have those communicators, those earpieces of some kind. And and um, they they had standardized that. We just didn't see it. I mean, I assume that they did. But I But Wasp I, was look, never an Avenger. Wasp was never <laughs> with having No, but I mean they there there's no reason why they wouldn't she wasn't an Avenger, but with Ant-Man being part or involved in the Avengers, maybe Stark Tech 
just issued everybody these comms in case you needed them, you know, for whatever reason. But her uh, costume wasn't Stark Tech. No, I know, but I mean that he that maybe that they just they're these you know you know everybody just ordered them and got them as part. I mean I don't know. It's something I I could believe that that tech existed because you know if you're wearing a helmet, you need some way to talk to each other. Like Ant Man and Wasp, one day Ant Man could have been like, "Hey, babe, you know I got these uh these Stark made these things. Why don't you throw one in your helmet?" <laughs> All right, let's move on here. That? Next up, we've got, uh, who is up? Okay, next up is Andrew who writes, Ciao, John. The streaming views from from Samba TV between Wonder Woman 84 and Zack Snyder's Justice League first reported and compared to the Friday to Saturday weekend. Uh, to, oh, yeah, this is, they already corrected this. Uh, 27th, Wonder Woman 21st. Uh, it seems like they haven't included the views from the release date on the 18th of March. They did. They did put out a statement after that to say they did clarify that because the original report incorrectly said they started counting the numbers from the Friday. They did indeed count those numbers. Uh, Nanaz viewer writes, Ciao, John. I'm assuming it's Andrew as well. From April 11th, HBO will release a TV series the nevers created by joss whedon uh did you have the chance to watch the new trailer what are your thoughts i fear this might be the last whedon show in quite a long time thank you well i mean we haven't had a whedon show in uh, over a decade i i don't think uh prop with all the stuff coming out with uh, a lot of the former cast from buffy the vampire slayer which i find very disturbing it could be a very long time if ever uh that we see joss whedon do a show again that aside is an issue for another time. Um, the trailer was great. I, th- I thought it was great. I don't know why they co- didn't just call it the touched. I mean, everything about that. Tra- Did you see that trailer, by the way, Rob? The Nevers trailer? Yeah, yeah it looks really interesting. Yeah, like, I thought it looked great. I just don't know why they're calling it the Nevers instead of calling Because everything in that trailer was the touched, the touched, the touched. Right. It's like, why didn't they just call it that? But I thought it looked great. Your thoughts? I, I thought it looked fantastic. I mean, really interesting premise, really uh, a new take on that the whole world, supernatural beings. And all. I'm like, I who, what's not to love? And it looks like it's beautifully made. Yeah, it lo- yeah, it does look gorgeous for a yeah. period piece. It looks really, really gorgeous. We'll see how that show turns out. All right, next up, uh, we've got. Matt McClure writes, John, I know you and Ann are wrestling fans. Ann's more of a wrestling fan than me. Uh, have you guys checked out AEW at all? And what are your thoughts? All Elite Wrestling. It's amazing. Uh, Goldberg, uh, Gold, not Goldberg, Goldust. Goldust's brother, um, I, I, Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes, a professional. Re- this is an interesting story. Professional wrestler Cody Rhodes, who comes from a, a wrestling family. His father was one of the all-time legendary wrestlers. Uh, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. His older brother is Dustin Rhodes, who was gold dust. And anyway, Cody is a great wrestler in and of himself. He decided to start his own wrestling company. And I'll say this. I've sat with Ann and Corey to watch some AEW. The wrestling itself is actually better than it is in WWE. Like they, they don't have, they don't have the polish. They don't have the storylines and stuff like that, that they do in WWE. But the pure wrestling itself is really, really exceptional. Like, really, really good. Uh, so, yeah, I was impressed with it. All right, Ryan Loner writes, As I write this on March 26th, uh, which was, of course, Friday's show, uh, Leonard Nimoy would have turned 90 today. He was just four days younger than Shatner. Rob, I know you had the distinct pleasure of actually directing William Shatner in a movie. Did you ever have a chance to meet Leonard Nimoy? Oh yes, yes. I, I I went to Leonard Nimoy's house. We made a um a seventieth birthday video for Shatner after we made Free Enterprise, and 
we asked Leonard to be in it, and he invited us to his house. And what was really funny about him, his house was beautiful. His wife Susan's beautiful, beautifully appointed, gorgeous art on the walls. And one of the things I loved all about this is that amidst all of this beauty, he had a beautifully framed Zombies of the Stratosphere poster, which was a thing he appeared in the, in the 50s, you know, a very kind of a cheesy B-movie. But he had that poster. He honored his own career. You would have thought that that wouldn't have held a place of honor in his house, but it did amidst all his gorgeous art and everything. And it, it showed me everything I needed to know about him as a person because he still honored his past and would put up a Zombies of the Stratosphere poster amidst all of his beautiful art. He was really a wonderful guy. Uh, and by the uh, way, terrific if, guy. If you want to see the greatest, and I mean greatest, music video of all time, if you have not seen it, go on YouTube and search for Leonard Nimoy, Bilbo Baggins. Just search for Leonard Nimoy, Bilbo Baggins, strap yourself in, and be prepared for the greatest music video of all time. I'm not kidding. Go look it up. All right, next up. Uh, Matthew Carter writes, Oh my God, John, there was a black super soldier and they locked him up for 30 years in a lab and broke his spirit. And the cop scene, wow, I did not expect Marvel to tackle this issue so effectively. Are we going to have multiple seasons because this show is amazing? Well, you know, Rob, we, we've talked about this. I, I most, it seems like most of the shows Marvel or Disney Plus is doing with, with Marvel are intended and they're labeling as limited series. Yeah. Out of all of them, though, Falcon and Winter Soldier really does feel like a series that could be an ongoing series. This feels like you could easily do a... I mean, we'll see how this show ends, but it yeah. feels like a show that you could do a season two, season three. What do you think? Well, I think so, too. I mean, we've only had one episode where they're, you know, we see them interacting, and I was really enjoying their chemistry and everything, and I like that they're delving into Marvel series like The Truth. That's where that black super soldier came from. And I, I, I'm really really interested to see where it's going to go but yeah i would watch the two of them I, I mean it was a lot of fun watching them especially when they went into to to battle that, that truck sequence was amazing all right next they were up great. We've got uh, one from an anonymous viewer who writes, John, on The Nice Guys, it had two actors that should bring multiple generational appeal, one which you and others note was exceptional. I must admit, I never saw it. Uh, is this an instance of poor marketing, either uh, quantity, quality, or type? So, Rob, uh, you know, this Nice Guys came up the other day. Of course, directed by Shane Black, starring Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan uh, Gosling. As to me, the nice guy, and nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. To me, the nice guys, and we talked about this the other day, is the poster child movie of whenever I hear people, like when a, when a new sequel or reboot gets mentioned, people say, Hollywood doesn't make anything original anymore. Uh, that's factually incorrect. Hollywood makes more original film today than it ever has in the history of, of, of the medium. Here's the problem. They put out all this original stuff and you don't support it. And the poster child for that is The Nice Guys because The Nice Guys is one, an amazing movie. It is so fun, so well done. It had huge, big, recognizable names, Ryan Gosling, uh, Russell Crowe. They got terrific chemistry. It's fun. It's funny. It's entertaining. And the problem wasn't the, Rob, the marketing was incredible. I remember I was still at AMC at the time 
when that came out and it like we were doing like trailer reviews of it. it's like this these trailers are great yeah but people didn't support it because it wasn't it wasn't something they recognized it wasn't an it wasn't a a franchise it wasn't a whatever and that to me is the poster child of the counterpoint to that but anyway rob when you look back at the nice guys other than the fact that it wasn't part of a franchise, it wasn't a sequel, it wasn't a recognizable IP. What do you have anything else that you kind of put your finger on? Is that maybe the movie could have done better if this, this, or this? No, I, I mean, I was surprised. Obviously, it's another Shane Black movie, and I, I really loved Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, and then he did Iron Man three, and then followed up with with the Nice Guys before he did Predator. But I, <laughs> yeah, I, Predator I, was a disappointment. I mean, I loved it. It it was so much fun. It was like a movie we haven't seen in a while. And, you know, the movie going audience has sort of changed over the last decade. And I was surprised that the nice guys didn't do better than it did. But unfortunately, that's, I guess, the world we live in. Yep, you can have the worst movie in the world and have it make a billion dollars. You can have the best movie in the world and have it barely crawl under people's radars. I mean, it it, it happens. Anyway, Rob, we've kept you over time here again. And is today the day that did, does Dota release on Netflix today? Is it that when released, it, it released Friday? Oh, it released th- Friday. Thursday. It's out already. So it's out. You can see it. It was it was like number seven in Germany. So of all the things on Netflix, so it's doing people, it's the response has been pretty great. I've Robert Meyer excited. Burnett and David Hasselhoff. Those are the people that the Germans love. The Germans <laughs> love Hasselhoff and Robert Meyer Burnett. Rob, thanks for being here, man. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM or find me on, on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. Have a good one. All right. I'll see you later. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. But listen, guys, we still have some time here, so let's keep right on rolling with your questions. We're going to pick things up now here with Garden Variety Vagabond, who writes, one of two. I get tired of attacking the theatrical version of Justice League versus the Snyder Cut. I personally prefer most aspects of the director's cut, but the reality is that things have to be adjusted to get down to two hours. Uh, First, it was a bad decision to cut that much. Oh, it's a terrible decision. We talked about that yesterday. Uh, But to cut that much sadly requires losing some great scenes, either for length or continuity after you cut other scenes. You cut it in half and then have to add connective tissue to make it work work without all those scenes. Release the three-hour and 20-minute campia cut. Yeah, there's that. I mean, here's the other thing, is that once you decide... Once they decided that not only did they want to cut Justice League in half, that they weren't going to do any of the follow-up films after that, so they had to take out all the scenes that referenced upcoming movies. So they had to take all those out. It was just, again, on, on yesterday's companion video, I talked about Warner Brothers had five options available to them about what to do about Zack Snyder and the Justice League movie. They had five options. Four of those options, none of them were ideal, but four of those options had potential upsides and would have been acceptable decisions to make. There was only one out of the five options that was completely a no-win, bad decision to do. And that's the one they went with. And I, I, I was right at the beginning of yesterday's companion video. If you want to see me talk about that, load up yesterday's companion video and you can go see me talk about it there. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Gar- Garden Variety. I really do. All right, next up, Scott Brown writes, 
Uh, one of the reasons I love movies is that they give you perspective and insight into cultures and historical events you wouldn't otherwise have access to. Perspectives is so important in being an open-minded person. It helps you realize we're all just human. No, listen, the beautiful thing about the movies, you know, we talk about this a lot. And I was just saying this again yesterday, I think, was that movies tell stories through other people's eyes. They tell us stories about the way the world is through your eyes or through other people's eyes, the way we hope it can be, the way it ideally would be, the way we fear it could be, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our, like it's, it's all those things. And you're right, it always tells stories from a certain perspective that aren't our own. And that's one of the beautiful things about movies and the power that they have. And I think that's a really great observation there, Scott. Well said. All right, next up. Willow writes, uh, as an Italian, have you ever been bothered by how Italian Americans are often portrayed on screen? Have you personally known anybody who's been offended by the stereotypes? I no, I actually haven't. And, you know, I went to a high school. You have to understand Hamilton, Ontario. One of the reasons my grandfather, when he came over on the boat, one of the reasons my grandfather settled in Hamilton is because that's where a lot of Italians were, were settling. This huge Italian community, huge in Hamilton. As a matter of fact, like when I went to high school, I went to St. John de Brebeuf High School, Catholic high school I went to, St. John de Brebeuf. And basically the school was divided in two. I mean, look, you had every other faction like you did. I mean, you had your metalheads, you had your, uh, you had skinheads, you had uh, the jocks, you had the geeks, you had, I mean, like every other school, right? But there was another big distinction. You're either Italian or you weren't. You were a whopper, you were a mungy. I mean, that's that's the way it just kind of was in our school. And in every one of the subgroups, there was Italians and non-Italians. There was Italian metalheads. Uh, there was Italian skinheads. There was the Italian geeks. There were Italian jocks. I mean, it was all things, but that was just a huge thing. But no, look, um, as somebody who grew up in an Italian family, I have never personally been offended by Italian stereotypes we've seen, but that is not me saying that others shouldn't have been offended by it. I'm just telling you my experience. That's all. I have personally never been offended by what I've seen as uh, a portrayal, a, a portrayal, because I've never seen a portrayal of my heritage. I've only seen a portrayal of individual characters who happen to share my heritage. But again, that's just me. I'm not saying other people shouldn't have been insulted or whatever. I'm just saying for me, it, it no, I've never personally been bothered by it, to be honest with you. But, but again, other people may, and I don't blame them for that either, but just me personally, I've not been. All right, next up. Good question, Willow. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, the first episode of the new Mighty Duck show is out, and it's surprisingly pretty decent. Plus, Dylan Playfair from Letterkenny is the jackass opposing coach, and I'm all, uh, and, and is perfect for it. I'll tell you what. So the reason I know, even though I don't really have any interest, no, I, that's not fair. I have zero interest in the new Mighty Duck show, zero interest. But the reason I know it's out is because my wife, Anne, who is a big Gilmore Girls fan, was like, John, the new Mighty Ducks has the mom from Gilmore Girls. I'm like, well, I guess, I guess I'm going to know all about this show now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Listen, I'm not saying the show's bad. I've never seen it. I can't say that the, the, the new Mighty Duck show is good or bad. I've never seen it. So I can't give an opinion. I'm just saying I have very little to no interest. That's, that's just it. But I know that the mom from Gilmore girls is in it. All right. Next up. 
The Wakanda Forever writes, Wakanda was watching concert videos of guitarists and came across Buckethead. I'm not familiar with Buckethead. I admit I laughed the first time I saw him. Then he started playing Amazing. Is there a live performer you made assumptions about and got surprised by? Finger licking good. So honestly, um, I've told this story before, but it happened in a live concert. I went to a Weird Al Yankovic concert a bunch of years ago when I was living in Saskatoon. He sold out the hockey arena in uh, the big arena in Saskatoon. I went to go watch that show there because I've grown up a big Weird Al fan. And his band comes on stage. And look, I'm not trying to appearance shame anybody, all right? But I, I just need to tell you this to set the context. His band comes out before he does, right? Weird Al Yankovic's band comes out before he does. And it was not an attractive group of men. Again, that's all I'm going to say. It was not an attractive group of men. You're used to seeing like a band come out and their long hair and they all look like models. And they put these dudes came out like this, like 50 year old, 40, 50 pound overweight, balding lead guitarist comes out and some really the face only a mother could love kind of bass player comes out and what, right. I'm like, okay, what, what? Cause you're not used to seeing that, right? It's not what you're used to seeing at a concert. Well, then weird Al comes out and they start playing. And within about 30 seconds, I realized what was going on on stage and why this wasn't like, he didn't go and get the best looking people to be in his band. And I realized it was because of this. Because Weird Al Yankovic doesn't give a F what the musicians look like. He just wanted the best musicians in the world. And I am telling you, that we- this sounds weird to say about a Weird Al concert. The musicianship from the keyboarder, pl- the keyboard player, the bassist, the guitarist, the drummer, across the board, the musicianship was some of the best I've ever seen in a live concert. And it just, it blew my expectations away. It was absolutely incredible. I, I it, They were fantastic, and I love that show. Anyway, uh, thanks for that. Next up, Johnny Winter writes, Like you, I enjoyed both versions of Justice League, but do you think they reshot some of the scenes because they wanted to make it to make it more sense and lighthearted, lighthearted safe? Batman had more to do in the theatrical than Zack Snyder's. Uh, I like the 2017 Steppenwolf more personally. I, I like I like the new. Let me put it this way. I like Steppenwolf a little bit more in the new HBO version, although not a lot more, but I do like him a little bit more because they give a little bit more depth to him. I preferred the design of Steppenwolf in the theatrical version. The CG was much better, much, much better in the, uh, in the Zack Snyder version, but I think I like the design, like the basic design better. I, I wasn't a big fan of spiky armor Steppenwolf. I wasn't a big fan of that, but whatever. Um, Look, it was all predicated. Everything that was done was predicated around cutting the movie in half. All the scenes they took out, then any extra little stuff they had to shoot to make what was left make any sort of sense. Uh, It was all predicated on this starting determination. The movie can't be longer than two hours and it still has to come out on its release date. Every other decision was all directly connected to that one key decision. And that, I think, is ultimately what causes the mess. 
But anyway, that's just kind of my take on it at any rate. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, what Conan Forever writes. I recently watched uh, The Greatest Showman again. I love that movie. You have said that Hugh Jackman is the greatest all-round entertainer out there. I still believe that. For years, I said Whitney Houston was the most versatile woman out there. Sing, dance, act, model, good looks. Who is that woman now? Um, I don't know. I mean, there are... There are so few, I don't think there's anybody in the league of a Hugh Jackman because it's not just that he sings and dances and acts. He is an Academy Award level actor. He's been nominated several times. He is a great singer. Like just go watch Greatest Showman. That dude can belt. He is a Broadway dancer. He is a legit dancer. I mean, it's not like a Justin Timberlake. Yeah, Justin Timberlake is a fabulous entertainer. But is is he an Oscar caliber actor? No. <laughs> He's no. Uh, great on a lot of other things. But there are so few Hugh Jackmans, male or female, that are truly great singers, truly great dancers, truly great actors. Not many of them. Now, you might be able to make an argument for um, J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez. I mean, especially after watching that. I can't remember. What, guys, help me out in the live chat. What was the name of her stripper movie she just did uh, last year? It was really good. Uh, if you guys remember the name of that, throw that down into the live chat. I'll, I'll wait for that to pop up there. But, you know, J-Lo is a, she is not a like academy level actress hustlers. Thank you, CJ. CJ was the first put in there. So cord cutter, also the Jedi, Brandon, uh, MM, uh, Michael Gonzalez, Simon cord, a bunch of you guys. Thank you guys for that. Hustlers. Very good movie. JLo is not to me an academy level actress, but she's actually better than you think. And hustlers really shows that off. And she's obviously a singer dancer. So I, I guess I would say, Maybe the closest to a Hugh Jackman on the female side right now might be a, a J-Lo. I think maybe be a J-Lo. So I'll, I'll go with that for now. Um, anyway, next up, we've got uh, James Germain writes, Hey, John, Invincible was incredible. I, I really enjoy it so far. The first three episodes have been fantastic. Uh, love how the cast of The Walking Dead voiced the Guardians of the Globe and The Walking Dead pun doesn't escape me, especially in that I don't watch The Walking, the Walking Dead, so I have no idea. Um, uh, or sorry, sorry, I, I don't. I was gonna say I don't watch Fear the Walking Dead, and I haven't. I haven't watched The Walking Dead for the last couple of seasons. Uh, does this game, especially in the last scene with Pitter Patter, uh, John Dead Man walking, Pitter Patter, let's get at her. Listen, we were talking about it earlier on today's show. I am not generally a fan. There are a few exceptions, but I'm generally not a fan of like Marvel or DC animated superhero stuff. I think most of it is complete shite. Uh, with with a couple of exceptions, with a couple of exceptions that I do quite like a lot, but yeah, man, this this show Invincible, it's it's choice, it's really really choice, and I am enjoying it a hell of a lot right now. Uh, all right, next up, um, BK Dan writes, "Hey Jonico, I've been seeing that uh, Jeremy Renner has been fired because of his opinion on what Disney did about Gina Carano." What? Where, what websites are you reading, BK? Is it true? No, we're not even going to bother talking about it. what websites are you reading? Dude, listen, do yourself a favor. Limit your reading to Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, Deadline, uh, Entertainment Weekly, 
whatever. Uh, just I, where, what are you reading that you're reading that? Anyway, um, uh, Garrett Couch writes, Martian Manhunter, I'm here to help. Uh, Bruce, really? What about when two Kryptonians nearly destroyed a city or when a giant monster killed Superman or when recently another alien tried to terraform for an invasion? Hard pass. I know that's, that's I, again, the Martian Manhunter stuff. I get it. There's a lot of people out there who love Martian Manhunter. I get it. So making him pop in there got some people excited. But honestly, none of his two scenes were needed in the movie. They didn't need to be there to progress the movie or the narrative or anything like that. He was not needed to be there. And I do. I laughed about that the first time I saw it when he shows up after all the trouble is now done. After the 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 threat has been dealt with, he's like, hey, I'm here to help out. Really? You know what it's like? It's like that guy. It's like your brother-in-law. Not my brother. My brother-in-law, Ray, is great. But I'm saying it's like your brother-in-law when you're moving and, you know, it's a pain in the ass. You're moving across town. You got to carry stuff up flights of stairs. You got big furniture. You got a piano and you're moving from noon to 5 p.m. And then your brother-in-law shows up at six. Hey, man. uh, All right. Ready to help you move. And you just look at him. It's like you mother effort. Like we, we we're done. We're done moving. Oh, man, did I miss it? I was so excited about helping you move, you asshole. You knew it was from 12 o'clock, not 6 p.m. Anyway, that's kind of Martian Manhunter in Justice League. He's showing up after Bruce Wayne already moved. Hey, Bruce Wayne, you don't know me, but I'm Martian Manhunter. I got superpowers. I'm here to help. You're only about three years late, dude. I know that's kind of what goes through my head. Uh, Next up. We've got uh, James Argento writes, uh, Suicide Squad trailer makes me think they are going to send two teams uh, to do mission. First, with Flag as leader that fails, and second, with Elba as the leader. Prediction, the head of Cordo Maltese name, uh, Mateo Sorez, uh, ends up being Vandal Savage. Might be. Actually, Vandal Savage, I wouldn't doubt at all if they use that. Vandal Savage has been used a couple of really interesting times, both in animated animated and live action form. It'd be really cool to see if they do that. I still think Flag, because remember, Flag is the only guy of the Suicide Squad who's not actually a Suicide Squad. He's not a a prisoner. You know, he's he's a military guy who does it. So I still think at the end of the day, he's like oversees all of it. But maybe, you know, you got your captain, you got your sergeant. So I think that's kind of the way they're going to break that down. Like if flag isn't there, then Idris Elba is the leader. If flag is there, he's the leader. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they kind of shake that out. All I know is that I'm very, very excited. I'm very, very excited for this movie, James. Very excited. Well, Conan forever writes, uh, Hey John, quick question. Why are all the movies I signed up for to watch on HBO Max leaving after 30 days? Uh, are all the new releases going to do that from now on? Thanks. Love you guys. We'll kind of forever. You know, I'm still not very clear on why they're doing that. Um, but no, it's not for all their stuff. It's only for, it seems like they're only doing this for movies that we were originally supposed to go to theaters in 2021. But now they're going on HBO Max, but they're limiting those to 30 days. I am not really clear on what their rationale is and why they're doing that. But the reality is it's not really all that important. Like if you were excited about watching Wonder Woman 84, you were going to watch it within the first few days that it came out. You weren't going to wait a month to watch it. If you were somebody who was looking forward to Snyder Cut, if you were one of those guys, then you weren't going to wait three and a half weeks to watch it once it launched. 
you are going to watch it within the first couple of days that it comes out. If you're somebody that's looking forward, if you're one of these people like me who's looking forward to seeing Godzilla versus Kong, guess what? Now, I'm clearly going to a movie theater to see it properly, but the chances are you're not waiting around for two and a half weeks to watch it. You're going to probably watch it as soon as you can. So I'm not quite sure why they do the 30-day thing. I don't. It's not going to be a part of their regular programming, I don't believe. But at the same time, it's really not a big deal because if it's a movie you're looking forward to, you're probably not waiting a month to watch it anyway. So that's kind of my take on it. But again, no, I, I actually don't have an answer for that. I, I'm i sure they have an answer for it. I just don't know what it is. All right, Sam Fisher writes, could the MCU introduce Iron Lad, oh, Iron Lad, uh, in Ant-Man 3 since they seem to be introducing other young Avenger members like Kate Bishop, American Chavez, and Billy and Tommy, and Iron Lad is a, young Aveng- is a younger version of Kang, and Kang is in Ant-Man 3. He's also supposed to be a descendant, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the comic stories, they suggest he's a descendant of Doctor Doom. Iron Land is Iron Lad is from the future. That's why. He, but there's there's um, there's some iterations. If I'm not mistaken, it's too bad Rob's not here right now. But that Iron Lad is actually a descendant of Doctor Doom as well. So I'm I'm not just because Kang is there doesn't mean Iron Lad's going to be there. I mean, Kang also has connections to many comic book characters. It doesn't mean they're going to be there. But is it possible? It's absolutely possible. It is absolutely possible. Do I think it's probable? Probably not. Not to mention that it already looks like they're going to try doing Iron Heart. So you already kind of got that there. So I'm going to say unlikely, but not impossible. Let's see where they go with that, Sam. All right, next up, TJ Thomas writes, I think the Oscars choice on this is short-sighted. I'm assuming we're talking about the you have to be there personally and and you have to be there in person. Uh, These nominees are still working professionals in the industry. If they are currently on a set, does, does, does the Academy expect them to shut down a full production to go into person then re quarantine? Oh, that I have no problem with. I have no problem with that. That's always been the case. Like, I don't mind under a normal year when there's no pandemic saying, no, you cannot Skype in to, to accept your Academy Award and give your acceptance speech. You can be here. Now, I have no problem with that in a regular year. And yes, if you are nominated for an Academy Award, then yes, you can get an evening off. And I'm sure that the movie you're making Now, maybe not always, maybe sometimes the scheduling doesn't line up and it's just not possible from a logistics point of view. But like if I'm making a movie with, I don't know, let's say Jennifer Lopez, let's say I'm making a movie with Jennifer Lopez and the Oscars are happening while we're shooting our movie. And Jennifer Lopez says to me, Hey, John, producer, John, uh, I'm nominated for Academy Award. Uh, for best actress from one of the other movies I did. Can we make sure that in two months that I'm not shooting on this one day? Can we make sure that I we, you shoot other things on that day? If I'm a producer, number one, I'm, of course, go and, and see if you can win an Academy Award. This is the Oscars. But also selfishly, I'm thinking Jennifer Lopez getting nominated for an Academy Award and being on camera at the Oscars is going to be free publicity for my movie. So I have, I have no problem under normal non-pandemic years, the Oscars saying, look, if you want to accept 
an Oscar and give a speech, you have to be here in person. However, however, in a pandemic year, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Well, it's not the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but it is among the stupidest things I've ever heard. During a pandemic where people are in quarantine countries and all this kind of stuff, it's like, and maybe they don't feel, maybe, what if it's an older actor? What if what if Clint Eastwood is nominated? For, you know what I'm saying? It's like people who are at higher risk of COVID and stuff like that. And they don't feel comfortable being in a room with 75 other people. Like this one year, there are a lot of very, very good rules, but every rule needs to have situations where there can be an exception. And this is just that year, man. This is that year in a pandemic giving uh, uh, Oscar nominees the option to Skype in or Zoom call in to give, to accept the award and give their speech. Uh, that needs to be an exception. Anyway, I don't even think they should be having the Oscars this year, by the way. I think they should just delay it till next year, but eh, that's me, whatever. All right, next up. Um, uh, by the way, Mr. Jones sends in a super chat badge in the live chat. Thank you, Mr. Jones. Appreciate that. Uh, if you don't answer this, writes, if a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy sacrificed their life, who would you want it to be? I'd pick Drax. In the final battle, he looks at the team, tells him, I'm going to see my family again with a smile on his face and dies. I'm not crying. You're crying. I don't know. You could you could do that with any character. Like you could have, you know, Rocket say, I've never had a real family till I knew you. And then he dies. Whoa, waterworks. You could have Gamora. Oh, it doesn't matter because Gamora just comes back from the dead anyway. Gamora's back. It, it doesn't matter who you kill in the MCU. It's the, it's the Marvel Cinematic Fake Death Universe. It doesn't matter who you kill. Even if they did kill Drax, you know he'd be back in the next one anyway. Because that's what Marvel does. They'll come up with some reason say, uh, 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 time travel, he's back again. I don't know. Um, I wouldn't want to lose any of them. I think they're all great. <laughs> I think they're all great. And I really like Dave Batista's Drax. I, I really love him in that role. All right, next up. Yo, Adrian writes, um, I understand filmmaking is hard, so I don't fault Warner Brothers or Zack. In fact, I am grateful to have seen the Trinity on the big screen or a 58-inch screen in my lifetime. However, I am now skeptical when Warner Brothers says they have a plan and the excitement I had is just gone. I mean, that that's there for every individual, right? Like, whether you're excited about something or not is going to be up to the individual and how the situation is hitting you. By the way, Rampage, uh, Predacon sends in a Super Chat badge. Thank you, Rampage. Appreciate that. Um... I would say this, though, and this goes back to something we were talking about earlier. You, you can't deny Warner Brothers has had some tremendous success in with DC without Zack Snyder. Aquaman was a really fun billion-dollar film. Joker was an Academy Award-winning billion-dollar film nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Like... They have made really good, really successful stuff. That's not to say that they can't make really good, really successful stuff with Zach. Obviously, they can. But to think that they can't do it without Zach, well, that's just factually untrue. They've proven that. Wonder Woman was a smash success with the, with the critics and box office and the audience. Aquaman is a billion-dollar film. Justice League is a billion-dollar film. I thought Shazam was utterly fantastic. It's my second favorite MCU film. 
Hey, yeah, they made Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. First one that I haven't liked. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I would say this. I would say be a little bit more open-minded and not think it can only be done this way or else it can't work at all, right? I, I, I just, it's like saying after Richard Harris died, nope, nobody else can play Dumbledore. Harry Potter movies won't work unless it's Chamberlain playing Dumbledore. Well, they went and got Gumbon and and they did great. They did great. So I would just say be open-minded. Be open-minded and, and see where things go. All right, next up. We've got um, BK Dan writes, Hey, John, just a question. Where did you get that hoodie of Endgame Avengers? Uh, what site? Can you throw a link in the chat? Thank you and bring on the filthy. If I'm not mistaken, because I've got a couple. I believe the one that I was wearing the other day on, on the last show was I believe I got that at the premiere. I think I got it at the Endgame premiere. I might be mistaken about that because I know I was, did I have it before the premiere? Did I get it at the premiere? Because I know I was wearing it at the Endgame premiere. I think I got it there. Anyway, I think I bought it there. I might be mistaken, but I think I bought it there. I'll, I'll ask Ann. Ann will know for sure. Uh, but if I can, if I can, if I can, you know, if you should be able to jump though on, just go to Amazon and search for Avengers jacket, Avengers Endgame jacket. And you should be able to find them if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I think that's where I got mine, although maybe I, I got it somewhere else. But yeah, search Amazon. You should have no fi- problem finding it, BK. All right, next up. Um, Sanji writes, Hey, John. Can Captain Marvel profit off off the success of WandaVision and potentially Miss Marvel? With the successful introduction of Monica Rambeau slash Photon Spectrum uh, and and the refreshing, full of excitement character that is Kamala Khan, can they pass $1 billion? Well, I mean, this kind of came up the other day. Remember, without Monica Rambeau and without Miss Marvel, the first Captain Marvel made over a billion dollars. The first Captain Marvel movie made over a billion dollars without those characters. So can the sequel make over a billion? It can. I I don't think it will. I think it'll be, I think Captain Marvel 2 will be very successful. I think it'll make the 800 million plus range. I think it'll be very successful, make a lot of money. I just don't know if it'll make a billion dollars because you got to remember there was, there was an excitement going into that. It was the first female lead Marvel film after doing 20 plus movies. They finally did one with a female lead. Uh, there was a lot of excitement. A lot of families were very excited for it. And yeah, and it was a good movie. Not one of the better Marvel movies, but it was a good movie. I, so it definitely can make a billion dollars though. I, I would say there's a 40% chance it makes a billion or more. I think it's more likely to take place hit between the 800 million and a billion mark. Instead of over a billion, I think it'll be between 800 million and a billion. But again, ask me that question again once we get closer and there's like a trailer or something. Then we'll have some better guesses, I think. All right, guys, we're going to take this one more question. And then, you know, we're going to go long today. We're going to make the show extra long today, if you guys don't mind, and if you uh, will will indulge. So I'm going to do this one last question, then we're going to take a three or four minute break. I'm going to run, refill my drink, use the bathroom, gives you guys a chance to grab something to eat, talk amongst yourselves. So let's do one more, and then we'll take a little bit of a break before we go on to an extended version of the show today. All right, Selma McShave writes, the demand uh, that the Oscars must be accepted in person this year is beyond idiotic. I completely, I completely agree, Stubble. Uh, it's not... 
Uh, it's just not that there's a risk in traveling now. Many productions have a quarantine period of several weeks if the cast or crew have been in another part of the world. Yeah, that was something that uh, the, the last viewer was kind of uh, alluding to as well. Like being on set and leaving set, no big deal. But if you're shooting, as the, one of the previous viewers was alluding to, if you're shooting in one of these countries, like let's shoot, say you're shooting in Canada, right? Well, Canada has a rule right now that if you enter Canada, you have to go two weeks into quarantine before you can do anything else. So it's not just like you're missing one day. You literally got to miss two weeks. On top of all the other concerns about a pandemic. So I completely agree with you, Stubble. I completely agree with you. Thank you so much for your patience as I took a little bit of a break there. We're going overtime here today on the John Campus Show. So let's keep on rolling, shall we? We're going to get things picked up here with uh, BK Dan who writes, Hey, John, figured out why you were uh, buff, uh, buffering and lost signal attack of Big Brother. Well, no, the other day for the first time. Now, I... I have been using a, a piece of software for my live streaming and broadcasting, an excellent, excellent program called Wirecast. It is phenomenal. It's wonderful. It's expensive, but it's just really world-class. And a lot of people used to ask me, why don't I use OBS? Well, because Wirecast is just hands down better than OBS. It just is. Now, recently, last year, OBS did a significant upgrade where they added some features and abilities to do some things that made me decide, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. And I've been using now. I may go back to Wirecast at some point, um, but uh, I, I just I wanted to give OBS a really good opportunity to try using it and stuff like that. But the other day, it just straight up froze. Like it wasn't the internet. It wasn't YouTube. It was just OBS just froze up. And I had to kind of restart the show. Um, so I got, I've got i had a few technical issues with OBS. Uh, again, it hasn't been terrible. Hasn't happened often. But I have had a few. Um, so we'll see. I'm going to give it a few more months. And then we'll see if I stick with OBS before I go back to Wirecast. We'll, we'll see how that goes. All right. Anyway, next up. We've got um, uh, Ever... Uh, Nolasco writes, all these restore the Snyderverse hashtag spamming over every Warner Brothers post and even James Gunn's new post is getting so annoying. I think they're just a very vocal minority. They are. And you know what? The majority are speaking up to try to counter them. The majority of the restore the Snyder cut fans are speaking up to try to drown those people out. And I commend them. I think bravo to them for doing that. Anyway, I think they're just a very vocal minority. But what do you think? Any chance WB actually bends to their will? So ungrateful. No, see, here's the thing that they don't understand. And I mentioned this earlier. And again, it's important to, to know these are the minority of people in that group. The majority of them have a lot more common sense. But what these folks don't understand is all they are doing is dissuading Warner Brothers from ever wanting to listen to them again. Because Warner Brothers is right now is like thinking, huh, okay. So you begged us to put up the money and put out the Snyder Cut. We saw some benefit for us to draw some attention to HBO Max. Okay, great. So we gave it to you. And what do you do in return? You attack us. You ungrateful little pieces of shit. I mean, if that's probably what Warner Brothers is thinking, right? If anything, all they're doing is making Warner Brothers regret that they put out Snyder Cut and they're making them and other studios go never give in to like little fan Twitter campaigns because they will turn on you. They will, uh, they will be ungrateful. They'll just start making more demands and try to, you know, adopt it. 
And again, that's why I think it's so important and so good that the majority of those fans, the majority of like people who want to see a restore the Snyder cut, they're speaking up now and trying to counteract the toxicity from the minority of that group to try to put a more positive, better spin on it. And I think that's great that they're doing that. And I think more fandoms should do that. Like, I think whatever fandom you're a part of, whether it's a Marvel fandom or Star Wars fandom, a DC fandom, when you see the idiots who are in your fandom doing idiot things, you need to speak up as a part of that fandom. You need to speak up and counter that. And I think it's really good to see a lot of the people who are fans of restoring the Snyderverse, uh, the Snyder Cut uh, stuff, um, are doing that. And I think that's very encouraging to see. I think this is a very positive thing. I think more fandoms can learn from that. So that's a good thing. All right, next up. Um, let's see. Uh, Mark 2021 writes, one of three. Hey, John, I recently watched Man of Steel for the first time in years. Oh, my God. Not only does it still live up, but it's better than what I remember. Seriously, Man of Steel is a movie that gets better every time I watch it. I really don't understand the hate a lot of people give. And Zod is now one of my all-time favorite comic book villains. Not just a curly mustache bad guy, but you can understand why he's doing the things he is doing. And may not agree with you. I uh, may not agree, but you can understand him, which in my opinion makes the best villains. So my other question is, would you rank the Man of Steel Zod as one of your favorite comic book villains? Thanks. Yeah. Now, I don't have him say higher than Thanos or things like that, but Thanos and Zod have something very, very key in common. They both, like a lot of the best villains do, they see themselves as the hero. But guess what? If you're Kryptonian, and obviously none of us are Kryptonian, but if you're Kryptonian, Zod is the hero. Zod is trying to save his species. Zod is trying to save his civilization. It doesn't change the fact that he is an unscrupulous evil son of a bitch, but his motives are he's trying to save. He, he really does love his world. He loves his civilization. He loves his people. He wants them to survive and to thrive. And at the end of the day, that's what now he was willing to wipe out humanity to see it. But if you're Kryptonian, you look at Zod as the hero and Superman as the evil villain. Superman's trying to wipe out your species, man. Superman's trying to stop your you're trying to wipe your civilization out of existence. And that's one of the things that I loved about him in that the way Michael Shannon played him was not just, I am a bad guy. I will find him. I'm so bad. Like it, it just it wasn't just that. You could whenever he's like like when when Superman was getting ready to destroy the Genesis Chamber, the thing that could possibly give birth to millions of more Kryptonians and keep the species going, as Superman's about to destroy it, you could see it on Zod's face, the pain, the desperation, the pleading. Like he was begging Superman, don't do this. You're killing our people. And he was like, it wasn't just his greed or his desire for power. He desperately wanted to save his people. Unfortunately, it was either his people or our people. And Superman had decided Earth is my home now. And Krypton had its chance. But yeah, and, and that's one of the, I think is even better example of that than Thanos. So yes, I, not my absolute favorite 
comic book movie villain, but he ranks right up there. I would say he's he's one of them. He's one of them. All right. Anyway, next up, we got Sam Fisher writes. I had not. I had not interest. Probably meant no interest. I had no interest in debris. But you make it sound like X Files. If X Files tagline was the truth is out there, as in the truth is out there to the public, and not the truth is out there somewhere. I got to tell you, I'm losing interest in that show, Debris. The first episode I found very intriguing, but it's not building on that. It's it's the show is not getting stronger as it goes, um, like a good show should. Like Superman and Lois is getting stronger as it grows. Debris, Debris is one that I did think looked really interesting. The first episode, fascinating. The concept is fascinating. But as each episode goes, I'm like, I this just seems kind of silly at this point. Magical alien space, every piece of the ship does something else magical. I mean, I... I'm maybe going to give it two more episodes. I'm going to give Debris like two more episodes and see if they can actually tur- turn it around. Because right now I'm just kind of like, this is, I, I'm, I'm not, there's no cohesion here. I don't know. We'll, I'll give it two more episodes and then I'm going to tap out on it. Let's see if it can turn things around. All right. The Hoser and the Knob writes, Hey, John, just wanted to address the Sam messing with Stark Tech question from yesterday. As a former uh one of two, uh, aircraft, Air Force aircraft mechanic, I can say that a pilot would not be messing with their aircraft like Sam was. That being said, Sam is a pararescue. Um, I guess that was just one of one. Was that just one of one? Yes, I guess it was. Okay. Uh, was a pararescue. Yeah, so I don't think, like, what I was saying the other day, because somebody's thinking, wait, what the heck is Sam trying to fix that piece of tech for? He's not a engineer. Yes, but... My kind of point that I was trying to make is he probably knows the basics of what is like you drive a car. I am not a mechanic. All right. I am not a mechanic. But when, you know, uh, my car runs low in oil, I know how to put more oil into the car. When the windshield wiper fluid runs out, I know how to replace the windshield wiper fluid. Um, when, you know, the tire is flat, I know how to get the tire repaired. I am no mechanic. I am no mechanic. I got to imagine that somebody like, um, like Sam would have the, uh, at least the most basic of understanding of like, Oh, this is broke on it. I can fix that. Like, I'm sure he can't reprogram red wing or anything like that, but I'm sure there's probably some very basic level stuff that he would probably, uh, be able to do. I'm sure there's some basic level stuff he'd be able to do. All right. Uh, thanks for sharing that though, Hoser. I appreciate that, man. Next up, uh, Zach March writes, I was curious, what if the MCU decided to turn a sequel such as uh, Ant-Man 3, Captain Marvel 2 and such into a Disney Plus series to have more time to tell the story? Do you think that could work? Uh, do you think they would ever do that? What title would work best? I, I'll be honest with you, Zach. I am not for that idea at all. Like, Look, they they are two different arts. Doing a movie is a different art than doing a TV show. And while you know me, I I love a good show, right? I love a good show. But there is something about, I've always said this, and this has ruffled some people's feathers, but whatever. It is much harder to make a great movie than it is to make a great TV show. They're both incredibly hard. Don't get me wrong. But like, 
You know, you take a show like The Wire. Some people think The Wire is like maybe the greatest television show of all time. I'm not one of them. The Wire is great. But there's a lot of TV files out there who think like The Wire is like the greatest show ever made. But even a lot of them will tell you, you got to get through the first like season. You got to like get through the first season. Like that's that's a luxury television has in a movie. You have, let's say, two hours and 20 minutes. That's what you got. You got to introduce all your characters, get us to know who they are, what their motivations are, set up the the basic concept of what the story and the narrative is going to be, then head into the main body of it where the story plays out, and then you got to bring it into its third act, bring it all to conclusion, and wrap the thing up, and you got two hours and 20 minutes to do it. Go. It is a, I still contend it is much more difficult for a storyteller to tell it that way, but there's something all the more satisfying about that single shot experience of getting that entire story experience in one sitting. I love it. That, that's why I prefer movies over TV shows personally. Although that's not knocking TV shows. You know, I love an awful lot of TV shows, love them, but give me a great movie experience over a great TV experience any day of the week, any day of the week. Now, that being said, can they take something like, I don't think they would. Like, I I don't think you get a WandaVision movie. We're going to get a movie with Wanda in it, but I don't think we would get a WandaVision movie, nor do I think would would they do Captain Marvel 2 as a season of, I think they try to keep some distinction there. So I don't know. It's really, it's an actually really intriguing question, uh, Zach. It's an intriguing question. I don't think they'll do that, but I don't feel confident saying that. I mean, it's, it's, it is very possible. Maybe they could, but I think they'll do some things that they did experiences. They designed for television experiences. They design as one shot movies, but I don't know. It, it is something that be, will become more and more of an option to them as they move forward. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. Excellent question, Zach. Well said. All right. Next up, uh, Zach March writes, Hey John, big fan of the show. Thank you so much, Zach. If someone had never seen a movie before, and has no idea what they are, and you had the job to introduce them to the world of film, what movies would you show them? Uh, I don't know. That's such a random question. <laughs> That's such a random question. Um, I, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't know. Uh, somebody who had never seen a movie before, what would be the movie I would show them? I don't know, maybe something Shakespearean, maybe Henry VIII, something like if they don't know movies, maybe they understand Shakespeare and like stage and whatever. And maybe that, I don't know. It's not a bad question. I just, it's very, very random. And I, I have no idea. Somebody who'd never heard of movies, what would be the first movie I'd show them? I don't know. I, 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 I just don't know, Zach. I'm just going to have to default on that one. I just don't know. Interesting question though. All right. GQ writes, Hey, Gio. I've never felt I got enough of Eugene Levy in the movies. So good. Uh, I just love seeing him. uh, But because of, you know, I'm addicted to Schitt's Creek with Kim's convenience. uh, The amazing Canadian should make more sitcoms. Hail Canada. Yeah, man, I'm I'm telling you the two best sitcoms in the last number of years are oddly enough, two Canadian shows, a three, if you want to include letter Kenny, but uh, Schitt's Creek and Kim's convenience, I think are the two best sitcoms and of course Shit's Creek just won all the Emmys like won all of them um 
Yeah, but Eugene Levy, he definitely should have been in more movies. That dude is so good. I just Ann and I just watched Best in Show again. It's been a long time since I've watched Best in Show. That movie is so funny, especially if you're dog people like Ann and I are dog people. It's so funny. But anyway, yes, Eugene Levy is an icon. He's an absolute icon. Uh, BMC writes, uh, was Rise of Skywalker the last film to gross a billion dollars? I think it was. Crazy. Uh, will that change this year? And if so, which MCU movie will will do it? Uh, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, or No Way Home? I don't think any BMC, I'll be honest with you. Now, I think, guys in the live chat, correct correct BMC if we're wrong, but I do think, I think Star Wars The Last Jedi was probably the last movie to make a billion dollars at the box office. I can't think of any others that came out after that, unless you guys can, but I, I think that is the last one to do it. Will any do it this year? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, look, anything's possible, right? Anything's possible. Like, who knows? Maybe, like, we were just saying earlier, if Godzilla versus Kong can make $40 million this weekend, which is a tall order, and I don't know if it can under the current circumstances with the pandemic, with... Um, uh, with the pandemic, with uh, uh, the limited theater capacity, all that kind of stuff. I don't know that it can make, I don't know that it can get there. I just don't know if it can get there. But let's say for argument's sake that, sorry, did we say last shot, Rise of Skywalker, not not the last shot, Rise of Skywalker. Rise, Rise of Skywalker was the last one to make a billion dollars. Let's say Godzilla versus Kong comes out and makes like $60 million. I don't know if that's, that's not, I don't, I doubt that's even remotely possible, but let's say it does. And then Mortal Kombat comes out and it builds, it gets like 70 or $80 million. Then conceivably when we get further and closer to the end of the year, as theaters open more back up and more and more people are immunized and could Eternals hit a billion dollars? Maybe, but I think, pardon me, very, very unlikely, very, very unlikely. Um, so I'm going to guess, you know, it could be till, I don't know if we're going to get a billion dollar film till like 2023. I don't know. You know what? The next two months are going to be so vital because here we're in danger right now. As far as I'm concerned, we're in danger because what hap- happening is, is that things are starting to get a little bit back to normal, right? Especially in California, we've seen the new infection rate drop a lot. People are getting immunized, all this kind of stuff. The problem is we as human beings are absolute fucking morons. And I'm talking about all of us. No exceptions. We're all morons. And what happens is some people see, oh, things are getting better. Well, then we don't have to worry anymore. We can just pretend like everything's fine. Somebody gave a great example, a great analogy of this once. Somebody wrote this into the show. It's like you, you get thrown out of a plane, but you got a parachute and you pull the parachute and you think, oh good, we've slowed down. I guess I can take the parachute off now. And then of course you die. And that's the danger we're in right now that people are going to see that, oh, movie theaters are opening back up. You know, restaurants are opening back up. We're, we're, we're progressing. Listen, we don't even have to be careful anymore. And that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about us going right back to the shithole we were in three months ago because everybody thought we didn't have to be careful anymore. But 
The next two months, I think, are going to be vital. If we can keep our guard up and if we can keep doing the right things, then I don't know, maybe maybe a movie towards the end of 2021 could maybe break a billion. I, I think it's very unlikely, though. I think right now it's very, very unlikely. Uh, maybe 2022, um, but maybe 20. I mean, I think we'll continue to see things get better, but it may not be till like 2023 that we see that. But I don't know. Ask me again in like a month or two. I think we'll have a much, much better idea about that in a month or two. Let's And let's see how Godzilla versus Kong does. Because maybe Godzilla versus Kong comes out and only makes $10 million this weekend, which would be disappointing. But maybe it makes 40, which would be very encouraging. We'll see how that goes. All right. Great question. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, uh, Randall McMurphy writes, um, first of all, congrats on your new home. Thank you so much, Randall. Uh, it is beautiful and well-deserved, but I have to nitpick, LOL. It frustrates me seeing your TV so high above the wall. It's crazy how many people write this in. High high uh, on the wall with the sofa so low uh, on uh, back supporting height with no headrest. Are you comfortable with that setup? Yeah, it is crazy. I, I've had, um, I don't know if I've got it here. Let me see if I can... Let me see if I can find this. I'm not sure I'll be able to find it, but maybe I can. So um, I've put up, you know, images and pictures of, of the house and our new setup here. And I love it. I love our new home. Uh, I've shown you guys some, uh, some I can't find a picture of it right now. Huh? Wait a second. Let's see. Anyway. And what some people notice is, is that the, the TV is a little bit, at least it visually appears and looks to some people like it's high on the wall. But in reality, it's actually not that high up on the wall. Now, let me see if I can find a contrasting picture to this that will make it make more sense. I should be getting close to finding one here. Okay, so let me let me show you these two pictures, okay? So here's one. You can see, uh, you can see where Frankie Edgar is. Like that's uh, the TV. And it looks like it's pretty high up on the wall, right? It looks like it's pretty up high up on the wall, but take a look at it from my perspective as I'm sitting on the couch. Uh, my perspective as I'm sitting on the couch is actually almost, it's, it's barely above eye line. It's barely above eye line, right? Here's the thing. When you're, it depends on how far away you are from the TV because what people miss judge when they see pictures of my living room is how far back the couch is from the wall where the TV is. Cause if the TV is this high and I'm sitting this close to it, then yeah, my head's got to look at it, up at it like this. But as the further you move it back, the more and more your head is just at normal level to see something that's even higher up further back. And people underestimate how far it is from my couch to my TV. The second reason why this was important to me is because we often do like, whether it's UFC or movie theme night parties, obviously we haven't done any during the pandemic, but the other reason why it's important for me to have the TV a little higher up is so you see behind the couch, sometimes when we do big UFC viewing parties or we have big movie theme nights, we'll have like 15, 20 plus people at our place. And we want people who sit behind the main line of the couch to be able to have a good view of the television as well. So we can line up behind the couch like 10, 15 seats if we need to. So people can see that as well. So actually, no, So I'm not sitting on my couch watching my TV like this. I'm actually sitting on my couch looking at my TV like this. And uh, it's just a matter of perspective and where you see it from. So anyway, 
uh, there's just that. But thank you for the question. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, next up. Uh, the Wakandan Forever writes, uh, I don't want, uh, I don't want, let me try this again. I don't want do your dirty work no more. Woo, uh, that trailer blew me away. I'm not sure what trailer we're talking about. Okay, oh, that was the Suicide Squad. Uh, King Shark voiced by Sylvester Stallone. Uh, did you hear what I said, John? Yo, Adrian, Sly, Ramble, Rocky himself. I was dying. I thought it would be interesting. This thing looks insane. I'm telling you what, I, I was very surprised to hear that some people didn't like the Suicide Squad trailer. I thought it was great. <laughs> I ate it up. And King Shark owned it. I thought King Shark was great. Everything from num num and he grabs the guy and starts eating or when he's ripping the guy apart. I thought the trailer to Suicide Squad was open, but that's just me. All right, next up. Uh Caps Lost Air writes. Hey John, on Falcon and Winter Soldier, I dislike the macho selfish attitude of our protagonists amongst themselves and against the new Cap. I'd expect a little more focus in facing the real menace instead of just whining about the shield. Total immature, totally immature. They're putting the symbol on top of what it represents. What are they? Children? And a scene with the therapist only absurdly reinforces that instead of, uh, of correct it, weak conflicts and weak episode, in my opinion, hugs my friends. Well, listen. It's all subjective, man. If that's the way it hit you, that's the way it hit you. I thought the episode was awesome. I love the fact that they're showing Falcon and like Sam and Bucky as being real people who would struggle with real things and would carry on real ways. This is the way they've always been portrayed. And I love the fact that they're, they're not... They're not making the characters perfect and pretty. They're going to lose some fights. They're going to say the wrong thing sometimes. To me, that makes the show more compelling. And yeah, I wasn't big on the therapy scene, although there were some moments in the therapy scene that I thought was really great, especially one of the best moments ever in the MCU was Bucky. When he says that line to Falcon, when he says, well, maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then that means he was wrong about me. I thought that was one of the most powerful moments in the MCU ever. I could have done without some of the other stuff in that therapy session scene, but that moment was one of the best moments ever in the MCU. It said so much about Bucky and where he was at, what he's what he's afraid of, how he sees himself. Um, it was powerful and awesome. But again, it's a piece of art and art hits us all in different ways. And if it didn't hit you in the right way, it didn't hit you in the right way. And uh, that's, hey, the lots of things people love that I don't like for the same reason. That's the subjectivity of it. And I'm glad you're sharing your thoughts on that, Cap. All right. Next up, we've got Dakota who writes, in which era of Hollywood would you rather be in as a filmmaker? Not including big special effects or silent movies, but your traditional storytelling movie, the 1940s through the 1960s, the 1970s through the 1980s and 90s or the 2000s till now. That's that's easy for me, the 2000s till now. Just the very, and we're, I'm not talking about big visual effects, but just the ability to make movies now. Like I remember I was on set for a couple of days do you guys remember um, that movie Gamer that came out in like uh, 2011 with Gerard Butler? Do you guys remember that? Um, it was directed by a couple of buddies of mine, Brian Taylor and Mark Neveldine. You, you've heard me talk about these guys before. I had uh, Gerard Butler, Michael C. Hall, Kara Sedwick, Logan Lerman, Allison Lohman, Terry Crews, Ludacris, uh, Dan Callahan, all that kind of stuff. Anyway. So when I was first moving to LA, uh, 
I, w- I drove because I had a lot of stuff and I had my car. So I drove from Hamilton, Ontario to LA. And as I was making the drive, uh, Mark and Brian said, oh, you're, hey, do you want to make sure you drive in such a way that you come through New Mexico? We're shooting, we're shooting our new movie right now. Do you want to come and visit? And I'm like, yes, I would love to come and visit. So I'm driving down and we get into New Mexico and we go in and uh, visit. By the way, Sam Witwer uh, is in that as well. Uh, Sam Witwer is is in this movie. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Milo Ventimiglia is in it too. Zoe Bell is in it. Um, anyway, Sam Witwer is in the movie. And this was the first time I ever met Sam Witwer. And he did his Emperor Palpatine impression at it, which just literally had me laughing for days. Uh, that being said, anyway. So I went through and they were shooting. It was the first movie that Mark and Brian shot on digital cameras. And I remember talking to them because instead of changing film reels and all this kind of stuff, they were showing me like they, they would pull, they'd fill up one of the cards, swap out the cards. And I remember talking to them and they were just like going, dude, this changes everything. Like I can literally, we can shoot the scene. I can pull the card out slap it into a computer and watch the scene right now. We could never do that before. We could never do that before. And, and he says, just, just changes everything about what we can try doing, knowing that we got something right away, going digital, literally changed the whole process of how you make films and what you're able to do. And I thought, and I remember thinking, yeah, I don't know how I, if I were a filmmaker in the areas era of still using film, I don't know how I would have done it. I don't know how I would have done it. So I will, for, so for that reason alone, which may not be a great reason, but for that reason alone, I will say uh, the modern era is the era I would want to be a filmmaker in because otherwise I just don't think I'd have the patience for it. All right, next up, we got Ryan Loner who writes, Uh, Beverly Cleary. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. The author of undoubtedly the first books countless numbers of people have read has passed away just a couple of weeks away from her 105th birthday. When asked if there was any secret to living so long, she said, I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, That's a great line. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if it's a Canadian and American thing. Um, I don't know if it's a Canadian and American thing, but I never um, I, I, I never read those books when I was a kid. That wasn't part of my experience. So I did hear about her passing away, but that line is iconic. I didn't, what's the secret to your long life? I didn't do it on purpose. That's funny. Thanks for sharing that, Ryan. All right, Kara Black writes, uh, looking at Marvel's release schedule from July 9th, 2021 to July 8th, 2022, we are getting a total of seven MCU films in just a one year time period. That's not even counting the MCU shows. That is absolutely bonkers, and that's not even counting their Disney Plus shows. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean it. I mean, but that partly has to do with pandemic, uh, in the fact that nothing that was supposed to come out in 2020 was able to come out for them. So it's partly pandemic. I'm sure there's other factors there as well. But yes, we are we are in a phase right now, starting with WandaVision, that over the next we are getting a lot of MCU content. Can the MCU keep up the high quality to fight off comic book fatigue? If they keep the quality high, fatigue will not be an issue. If they if their quality starts to drip, it could 
very much become an issue. So that's going to be the big, the big question. But yes, there is an awful lot. Um, there is an awful lot of uh, MCU content coming, an, a hell of a lot of it coming. All right, next up, uh, we got March 2021 writes. Um, one or two. Hi, John. This was meant for the Falcon Winter Soldier, but it wouldn't let me send a super chat. But uh, towards the end, when slash if the new cap turns bad and fighting Falcon and Bucky, he will turn around, get smacked on the face and camera pans up. And it's Steve Rogers saying, I think this belongs to me snatching the shield. Well, I don't. And listen, uh, Captain America is the is my favorite MCU character. There's, there's no getting around that. Captain America is my absolute uh, favorite MCU character. That said, do I think there's any chance that he actually pops up in like the full Chris Evans, young Captain America form? I don't think so. I, I mean, I would lose my mind if he did. I would completely lose my mind. Like I said, he's my absolute favorite MCU character. Not my favorite comic book character, but he is my favorite MCU character. I would lose my mind. But yeah, I think um, I think that is uh, a very unlikely thing. A very, very unlikely thing. So uh, yeah, it's probably not the case. Um, all right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Williams writes, Okay, here's a crazy theory. What if Green Lantern showed up at the end of Suicide Squad? After all, Starro is a cosmic threat, and I wouldn't put it past Gunn to do something crazy like that. It could also be a fun way to finally introduce Hal or John. Uh, but but it kind of takes away. It kind of takes away. The idea that you don't want the movie to be... You don't want a movie called Suicide Squad and all everybody's talking about is Green Lantern, right? It, it wouldn't be... I mean, that would kind of be counterproductive. So I don't see there being a lot of advantages to doing that. And like, I don't understand fandoms and this goes all the way down um, to like, even if you go back to WandaVision, like people wanting all these completely disconnected, irrelevant, not connected to this thing at all to come in and be a part of it. It's like, why would you want that? I mean, why would you want you know, that like this is a Suicide Squad movie. You'd want it to be about Suicide Squad. Like, what would be the connection with Green Lantern? How does that fit in? How does that make sense? Now you're right, Starro Starro is a galactic entity. He's an alien being from another world, the conqueror of worlds, Starro. I still can't believe they're gonna have Starro as a villain in this movie. That is like completely crazy. But I mean, how and in what way is Green Lantern connected to that? And why do we want Suicide Squad to not be a Suicide Squad movie and be about something completely random. I I, I don't know. So I don't think it works. Um, I don't think there'd be a purpose to it. So while nothing is impossible, nothing is impossible. I just don't see them doing that. And honestly, I don't think they should do that. I don't think they will do it. I don't think they should do it. So that's kind of where I'm at on that. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, man. It is a crazy theory and stranger things have happened, dude. Stranger things have happened. All right. Wakanda forever writes Falcon and the, and the white wolf, the tension fellas, it must be a uh, mating season. Like an old married couple, the action still holds up. I love the marching band two for two episodes. I think we got another hit. Are we not, uh, are we are not assassins line. And I'm sure what that means low, low blow, uh, Sam too soon. So yeah, listen, I, 
this is a very, very different show from what WandaVision was. Clearly, it's a very, very different show. But I'm telling you, I'm I'm buying into this. I am liking this show a lot so far. It is still really weird to think that we're only two episodes in, but all we have is four episodes left. Like in WandaVision, by the time we only had four episodes left, we'd already had five episodes. Now, we've only had two episodes and we've only got four left. I, I mean, so it, it's something very unsatisfying about that. Very unsatisfying about that, but we'll see where they go with it. All right, next up. Um, Ashley M. writes, Hey, John. While I don't love Man of Steel or Batman versus Superman, I did like that the 2017 Justice... I did like the 2017 Justice League. Um, but I really like the Snyder Cut, and I'm fully on board now with Henry Cavill's Superman. Now that I can see Snyder's vision for his character, sad he won't return. Yeah, and again, it's unfortunate that... It's unfortunate that we all forget that Justice League wasn't Warner Brothers' first go-round with Zack Snyder. They did Man of Steel, one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. They did Batman versus Superman, which I really liked. Again, the unfortunate thing is what Warner Brothers saw were two movies that underperformed, were completely divisive. Half the critics hated it. Half the audiences hated them. I still have no idea how anybody dislikes Man of Steel. I, it's all art. It's all subjective. I get it. I'm just saying it still confounds me how people, there are people who really don't like Man of Steel. I do not understand that. But that being said, so it's not like Warner Brothers didn't give it a go. And then again, if you're Warner Brothers, like again, if I'm if I'm an executive Warner Brothers, I keep going with it. But I understand their decision not to because... You do these films, they underperform. You have the biggest comic book characters in history with Batman and Superman. They don't do the way you want them to do. They get, they're very divisive. They're received very divisively. And then you make other movies without him and they getting rave reviews and people love them. And you get movies making billions of dollars. And I get it. I do. I, and I think if you're rational and you look at it from their point of view, you get it. It's not what I would do, but I get it. And um, yeah. But I, I think instead of people being sad they're they're not getting any more, you should just be happy that you got it and and then move on. But who knows? We'll see what happens. We will see what the future holds. All right, next up. Thanks for that, Ashley. Wakanda Forever writes, hey, hold your horses, fellas. There is nothing wrong with using black in our names. Black Panther, anyone? Sam, come on now, brother. You don't uh, do my man like that. I ain't mad at you, young man. We got to stick together. LOL, Wakanda Forever. Well, but yeah, but the thing is, that's not his name. His name is not Black Falcon. <laughs> His name is Falcon, right? Black Lightning can be called that, but Luke Cage isn't Black Luke Cage. It's Luke Cage. Not every Black character needs to put the name Black before their name. So I that's why I personally like that scene a lot. As the kid sees Sam and he says, you're Black Falcon. He's like, my name's Falcon. Are you Black kid? I thought that was fun. I thought that was fun the way Sam said that, but that's me. All right. Uh, next up, Wakanda also writes, okay, Disney, you you went there. Cops messing with my man Falcon. Let him know, San, it's getting real Marvel Wakanda forever. Yeah, somebody else was bringing that up a little bit earlier too, that, you know, between introducing Isaiah as the black super soldier, then that whole cop scene up front, which I thought was really well done and handled. And then I also love the irony that at the end of it, it was Bucky who ended up getting arrested. I thought that was funny. But no, that they they're delving into stuff they're constantly changing gears here, and that's what's keeping them fresh and sharp and on top of all this stuff, Wakanda. All right, next up. The Sock writes, 
Uh, movies I watched for the first time this week. Ocean's Eleven. Nice. I love Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is a good example of a remake that's better than the original. Now, I don't know how many Frank Sinatra fans out there are getting all mad at me for saying that, but I thought the this is one of those examples where the remake is actually better than the original. Anyway, Wolf of Wall Street, magnificent. The Big Short, magnificent. Uh, and mid-90s, love, truly loved every single one. That is a good week, Mr. Sock, of film watching. That is a good, solid week of film watching. Good on you for that. All right, next up, uh, Tony Rodriguez writes, Okay, Campia, I know you're not big on the DC Marvel tunes, but Invincible on Amazon, and obviously this was written in on, on Saturday, I think. Uh, I know you're not big on DC or Marvel tunes, but Invincible on Amazon is what you should be watching. The voice cast alone and the animation is Justice League Unlimited times two. Superman and Son story to start. Uh, Steven Yeun, uh, who was, uh, uh, what was his name again? Uh, he was in Walking Dead. He's the guy who got his eye knocked out. <laughs> he got hit in the head so hard with the bat, his eye knocked out. Anyway, can't remember the character's name. Uh, is the main character. And again, I have been, I'm very impressed. Glenn, thank you guys. Uh, Token number one and Marcus in the live chat. Glenn, that was his character's name, Glenn. Which, which is funny because the dude is 37 years old doing the voice of a high school student. He's 37 years old, but whatever. Anyway. Um, okay. Uh, but yes, I'm been, I've been very impressed with this show. I'm three. Obviously, everybody's only three episodes in, but I am loving what I'm seeing so far, and I cannot wait to watch more. All right, next up, Tony Rodriguez also writes, and there's a messed up Superman versus the Justice League twist in the first episode. You got Amazon. Uh, what do you got to lose? If you're not convinced, Incredible Invincible is basically the cartoon version of the boys, at least so far. First three 40-minute episodes are up now. Again, I have watched it. It's great. I'm enjoying it a great deal, and I cannot wait to see episode four. All right, next up, we got a useless nobody who writes. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Superman and Lois, and Invincible are all airing at the same time. I don't think we've ever gotten this many comic book shows of this quality at once. Ah, uh, we have. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, are you watching Invincible, by the way? Yes, I am. I haven't seen you talk about it. The cast is insane. Yeah, it, well, the the voice cast is whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love hear, hearing J.K. Simmons doing the voice of Omni-Man and everything, but the voice cast doesn't, whatever. I, I'm totally good with no-name voice actors who are very talented voice actors, so I don't really care that much about the cast. That said, it's been great. I would say, though, that better than Falcon, Winter Soldier, Superman, and Lois, and Invincible all playing at the same time. Better than that is The Boys, Doom Patrol, and Umbrella Academy all playing at the same time. I mean, both trios are amazing. Both trios are great. But yes, if I had to choose Falcon, Winter Soldier, Superman, and Lois, and Invincible, or The Boys, Umbrella Academy, and Doom Patrol. I'm taking The Boys, Umbrella Academy, and Doom Patrol. It's all subjective, but I am loving Invincible so far. I cannot wait to watch more of it. All right, guys, last question of the day. This comes to us from Cam K, who writes, Hey, John, question about copyright laws. Uh, you often feature Rob on your channel, and he has toys and movie covers and whatnot in his background. Even though he's not doing any commentary on some of them, uh, how would this qualify under fair use? It doesn't have to qualify under fair use. These are products that he bought and owns in his home, and he is shooting. He has the right to shoot in his home. So now sometimes you'll see things like, well, they'll 
blank out uh, like a logo on a shirt or something. I think more times or not, that's them having their own conflict. Like, here's a great example of this. Um, I watch some poker on TV. I like watching some w, uh, 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 WPT on um, TV. And quite often what will happen is there will be a player who has like some poker website logo on his hat. And what will happen is the TV network will blur it out. It's not that they're worried about getting in trouble by that poker brand. It's that that, hey, that poker brand has not paid us to be advertised on our show. So we're going to blur it out. So that some that sometimes that's the case. When I, but no, you don't need any fair use stuff. If I own any more than I need fair use of this Rode microphone, right? This, this Rode microphone, this is copyright Rode. This is their brand, but I don't need to have fair use or right. This is my mic. I'm in my studio shooting my show. This can be in the shot, right? So I, again, I'm oversimplifying it by a mile, but that gives you a, a, at least a basic general idea of that. Anyway, guys, that will do it. Now, there are still more questions to come, guys. Lots more questions. We've got uh, Wakandan, more from Wakanda Forever, Josh Rasko, Mr. 47, Power is Power, and on. Do not worry, guys. We're going to do a companion video a little bit later this afternoon. You might have noticed, by the way, that on yesterday's companion video, there was no Kimberly Curran, and there won't be Kimberly Curran on today's either. Uh, Kimberly, a family member, had a car accident. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Kimberly gave me a call. Uh, she had a family member in a car accident, so she's she's not going to be on for the next day or two, a couple of days, uh, as she's looking after family stuff. Again, everything's okay, uh, but there was that. So uh, when you see me do a companion video later and Kim's not with me, don't worry about it. She's fine, and she will be back later in the week. But we will do a companion video later today. We'll get caught up uh, a little bit more on all the questions. But for now, guys, that'll do it. For today's long episode of the John Campia Show, thank you guys for taking time out of your day to spend with us here. Special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you also supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here involved with the John Campia Show, thank you guys so much for your support. Okay, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.